We are proudly supported by Dove. Over half of the girls in the world suffer from low self-esteem, which causes them to opt out of important life events and puts their health at risk. The Dove Self-Esteem Project is the world's largest provider of self-esteem education and teaches the next generation to feel comfortable in their own skin by working with schools and parents. Dove has created and uses educational evidence-based resources that are designed to help young girls and boys reach their full potential. They cover topics like bullying and social media to help young people build a positive relationship with the way they look. You can get these printable resources to help increase the self-esteem of the young people in your life at dove.ca slash self esteem. Now let's get to the episode. Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 58. Nice. Thank you. Smooth. I feel like you were nervous on that one. You know what? Every week that I go to do the intro, I just I forget it. I forget it as I'm doing it. And then I have to kind of remind myself when I'm in the process of it. And it's embarrassing because now we've done it for 58 episodes, yet I'm still finding myself forgetting. Do you think I make you nervous? Yes. <laughs> well, you have a certain energy. So I was really excited to pod when we were driving home. We came home from the cottage today. And you were like so loving and touching the car. You were giving me like a head massage the entire way home, which was amazing. We get home. You're in a great mood. Everything was so good. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be a great podcast tonight. And then we just had some like stressful things happen with work and with Lucy going to bed was a disaster. And uh, now I feel that you're on edge a little. And you know, I, I don't want that to affect the podcast. I wasn't even going to bring the stuff up that made us stress, but now I am. No, that's fine. And, uh, you know, I, I I made some bonehead errors that I realized when I got home. So I was in a great mood, and then I was like, oh, I made these stupid errors in the last week. That kind of it created a weird domino effect and uh, that I know is going to be causing me a little bit of anxiety for the upcoming weeks because sometimes one mistake is fine but if one mistake causes a trickle-down effect that you know is going to affect your life for the next few months it can put a damper on the evening (laughs) but (laughs) I don't want that to put a damper on this episode hell no hell no we have a great episode coming up we have Alyssa Milano and Daniela Monet and they're two pretty famous people Daniela Monet has more followers i mean if you want to base fame on instagram followers than anybody we've ever interviewed and Alyssa milano is just an actress that's been around since our youth and has maintained this level of like fame whether it's through movies or tv or through her activism she's pretty much successful in anything she does like Mm -hmm. i feel like anything she's done it's been Number one, even if she does like an activism yeah. move or something. Am I saying that right? No, <laughs> an activism move. <laughs> you, gets you got the number one activism move, Alyssa, this week. No, she gets involved with, you know, certain causes and she really does put herself out there and it's amazing. But it was so cool to be able to sit down with them. And I know Alyssa, we were so nervous about because we we're like, she's, she's huge. She's been huge for ever well it was more than that it was was yes she's big she's huge but we were at your cottage like there were so many things so the wi-fi is a little tricky there so we we set up my phone as a backup if the wi-fi went down and the zoom link went dead we were going to switch to uh, my phone which Mm -hmm. has normal internet like that would just cost me like a million dollars (laughs) but that was our backup plan Uh, but the interview went off without a hitch 
And it was amazing. And she has unique perspective because she is a COVID long hauler. She's had it for months. She has symptoms that she wasn't expecting. And she's just realizing so many different ways that it's been impacting her life. So it's incredibly interesting to hear you know, from that perspective and experience. Yet she still looks so good and like the same as she always has. It's crazy. I got to know her secret. I wonder if she is putting, my skin has never looked better than when I was putting colostrum on my face and I'm dying to know what her skincare regimen is. And but I know is it like, always a skincare regimen? Can't good genes just be it? Like I feel like some people don't want to believe that good genes are just oh, it. 100% they can be, but not that good. Like, Lately, they will like what contribute. about John Stamos? You think he's going crazy every night with a, a routine? He's got something, babe. Like, for sure. good genes. That's a part of it. But I think you got to have something on top of the good genes. Good genes can only get you so far. They need a little help. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, before we get to things, Shane, cheers. We have a Seedlip Espresso Martino tonight. Let me, let me taste this. Drinking. Okay. See. I, I really like this drink. I think it's awesome. But why are we drinking espresso? Well, wait, wait, I'm saying espresso. Why yeah, are we drinking espresso? Why are we drinking espresso <laughs> this late at night? <laughs> That's definitely a bad move. But I wanted to try this because I do like espresso martinis. So this is Martino because obviously there's no alcohol in Seedlip. But yeah, I just I've been dying to try it. And so here we are. We used a cold brew coffee like in a can from the grocery store which i don't know i just think is super fancy and it's super nice on a saturday night you're not drinking enough to stay awake and if you do have problems getting antsy later i turned on a show last night and you fell asleep midway through so i'll just turn on the same show no it w that wasn't the show that was the fact that i had broken my vow of not drinking mm. for the month of october i know you're trying to protect me here and not bring it up <laughs> But I said I was going to drink on Thanksgiving. Yeah. So I've been not drinking for about two or three weeks. But Thanksgiving, it's uh, celebratory and everyone else was drinking. So I said, hey, I'm going to indulge in alcohol on this little mini vacation that we went on at, at, at your cottage or our family's cottage. I'm in the mm -hmm. family too. It used to be yours, <laughs> but then we got married and now we all share everything. But I got a little bit tipsy. And uh, when I get a little tipsy, sometimes I fall asleep early when I don't want to. So were you enjoying the show? Because this is something else I want to ask you. So I put on, what is it called? The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is the new, it's like, I don't know if they're making a series out of it. They put out, you know, a series a few years ago called The Haunting of Hill House. And I watched it alone when Shane was working, but I loved it. And I thought it was like... I thought it was spooky and like emotional and everything. So I was really wanting to see this new one. And then halfway through the episode, Shane fell asleep. So I was like, oh, there goes, you know, his interest in it. Well, the spooky part kept me awake. But then when it got too <laughs> emotional, I was like, <laughs> no, no, it was fine. It, it was just the alcohol and I wasn't used to drinking. But I will say I woke up without a hangover. That's, and you did not. You yeah. woke up with a hangover. Well, that's more than I could say. Yeah, I, I woke up with a headache feeling okay but just groggy and with the headache and obviously that's because i'm up all night with the baby so that makes it more difficult too but i had to drive home today and the drive is is fine for the majority of the time but then there are a few instances when both girls start crying and whining and then you know the road is loud and 
everything is just driving into your brain, it feels like somebody's lobotomizing well, you. Well, this makes me sound bad. It's like you were the hangover, I didn't, and you drove. Oh, no, I, I always prefer driving. And if you listen to this podcast, you know I drove myself to the hospital when I was going to have a baby. And Shane wait, sat in this the makes passenger me sound seat. bad. No, but it doesn't. People, people know, especially if they listen to this, that I do, I prefer to drive. Are you scared of me driving, honestly? Yes. Why? Because you don't do it enough. Yeah, but here's the, like if we get into the mode and like we're on vacation, we rent a car and sometimes like on some vacations, I've been like, all right, Shane, you're the driver. And then you are the yeah, driver. We only got two fender benders. <laughs> and that was that kid's fault, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, if we're not in that mode and we're just in driving from home mode, then I just I really prefer to do it because I do it way more. Well, I prefer you driving, too. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad I we're just, on the same page. You know, I, I, people listening who maybe they're this is the first time they're like, "Yeah, this doesn't sound like a very good man here." Oh, he's great. He's great. I just don't like him behind the wheel, and not because like Shane made a joke about the fender benders. That did not happen. But you're fine behind the wheel, honestly. I just I feel like maybe you get skittish or something. Am I wrong? Oh, well, I'm I'm more comfortable when someone's not in the car. It's it's odd too because I'm super safe and overly cautious that i'm a little scared sometimes when you're behind the wheel and i was broing down with your dad a little bit on the trip and he was telling me the same thing about himself he said well, you were driving him around and he was a little bit scared and he had to reprimand you he did reprimand me and it, it felt weird getting reprimanded as an adult but i mean you know you don't want to make your passengers feel uncomfortable and i did make a couple driving errors when i was driving him but here's the thing I made those errors because I was so nervous to be driving him around. I never drive him. I was so nervous. Because you felt like he was watching you? That and I just, I, I don't know what it was. I was, I was very nervous driving him because I never have. I don't think since I was learning how to drive. He taught you how to drive? He taught me and, how to drive. And you do have a bit of a braking problem, I would say. That's yeah, what do you call that? A lead foot? Well, the thing is, when you, I find when I'm driving with you, that you don't know the difference that when you see somebody putting their brakes on up front, mm -hmm. you assume, oh, I see a brake light. They must be slamming their brakes. So to avoid us getting in an accident, I'm going to slam on my brakes also. But if you just I don't slam them on, you're going to say if you do it lightly or whatever and just ease into it. I do. But if traffic is like stop and go, stop and go on highway, sometimes people are slamming on their brakes in front of you and you have to slam on ish the brakes behind. Yeah, but there's a way to do it if you always keep the proper distance from the car ahead. I want you to drive and stop and go traffic on the way to the cottage. Oh, I do all the time. You haven't with me. Yes, and I if have. you have, I just didn't say anything because I figured you would be like, oh, this is what it's like. No, I, I, what you're forgetting is I drive with people all the time. Like all the time I drive with people. I, my heart never skips. I've had other girlfriends who have driven me around. They, <laughs> <laughs> they had the same fears as you. But what I mean is I've never been like so backseat drivery as I am with you. Okay, but granted, how were your two drives this trip? Great. You've improved greatly. Thank you. I've been improving on everything. That's good. Yeah. And that's actually my first topic here I'd like to talk about. Unless you have one. I see no, you no, have no, a no, list no. that's quite long. No, well, that's for later. But what's your topic? So my topic question is, do you think I'm too rude to you in this relationship? Honest to God, it all has to do, I think, with your tone and with... You don't think that you're reacting in a bad way. 
but like it it totally seems like it's you know sometimes when you respond it seems like whatever somebody did whether it's me or your sister or whatever it's like so annoying or like oh my god why would they even ask that and it it causes a lot of doubt for the person that you're in conversation with it's like me or your sister or whoever else so I I just I think that for you just so much of it is tone because there's an you can spend the same amount of time reacting to something but your reaction to it and what you say could change the whole change the whole vibe like if we are reaching for something in the car right so like if we're driving home from the cottage hypothetically and uh lucy's like i want some bread and i was like oh uh, there's bread behind my seat and then you're trying to find the bread and i'm like yeah it's it's over here this way instead of saying yeah 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 i got it you could say oh yeah babe i see it and it's like just the difference of tone in a reaction changes keeps my vibe cool it changes your vibe i think because as the person reacting you just eventually learn to mm-hmm. i think having a more positive reaction or more neutral reaction does impact how you feel about things I, too I and totally i totally agree and it's i just think, as easy and here's the thing i would never react that way if someone else was around i'm only doing it because we're so comfortable with each other and that's weird but like but like when you react like that and when you sound so pissy in your tone, well, what did I are say? you pissy? Mm. Like, are you feeling pissy? Are you feeling annoyed that I'm like, oh, the bread's no, right here? No, no. What it is is it's something else is on my mind that I'm somewhat worried about on a, either a conscious or subconscious level. And so I'm working out this problem in my mind. And then the bread thing is mildly, very extremely, like just a, a point two out of 10 annoying. But... I'm making it seem like it's a 7 out of 10 annoyance because something else in my life is making me annoyed. Yeah, but then I asked you, I was like, Shane, like, why did you act so annoyed? Were you? And you're like, no, 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 I'm fine. I, I acted fine. But well, then like, I didn't even say, no, now. No, no, no that, that's not true. So what actually happened today? I reacted that way. And I said, Alex, I'm sorry. And then you like, who acted like I was kidding with I'm sorry. And I said, no, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened. So don't act no, like. No, no, no. Like, but like. In like in general, like if you have bad tone or something like that, and I was like, like, are you so annoyed? And you always say no, but now you, I just like I'm just trying to understand because now I feel like you're saying that in the moment you are annoyed at whatever it is. What I'm saying is, I'm not annoyed with you. I'm lashing out and acting annoyed because something else in my life is making me irritated. And sometimes you're not even fully aware of it until you think of the day, and it's like. What am I worried about? Oh, it's this I'm worried about. And that's that must have been why I reacted that way. So mm-hmm. it's like people go to therapy and sometimes they're trying to figure out who, who they are and why they react certain ways. And they learn things in therapy that they didn't even realize was affecting them. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, like there's certain things from my parents' divorce that I'm sure has affected me that... When I was a kid, I was happy when they got divorced. I was like, two Christmases, right? (laughs) And I never felt any which way about it Mm -hmm. until maybe I was like 30. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm weird in this way because of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But when I was acting out as a young child, I wasn't like, it's because mommy and daddy don't love each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that, that's that's what I'm saying. No, and I do have to say, like, I, re- I appreciated you realizing so quickly today that you sounded off like that they're, you know, 
there wasn't a reason to sound pissy. But you know what I mean? Like, it is it is just so easy to, instead of say something that sounds or could be perceived as rude or short, so easy to just say, oh, yeah, yeah, I see it. Thanks, babe. Or just whatever. And I, I react like this. I know exactly both sides of this so well because I have this kind of reaction I think with my mom and again it's because I'm so comfortable and I'm so trusting in her my feelings with her that I can totally lose track of how I'm talking with her and I could take out my annoying my annoyances and frustrations in other aspects of life on her without even really realizing it and then if I step back I think oh my gosh yeah I did say that really shitty and you know I didn't treat her with the love that she was like treating me with and I, I totally get it from both sides. But yeah, it's something that I think can definitely be improved on. Like for me with my mom and I think for you with me. And even with you and me. And yeah. I, uh, you're a lot better than I am. But I, I will say the way you respond to some things isn't like oh, two weeks into our dating life, which might not be realistic <laughs> to how I want you to act with me. But I was just thinking, what do you think about bringing complete manners back into the relationship? What do you mean complete manners? like please and thank yous and things like that i think we are good at unless you mean something different like and i'm not saying we don't say please and thank you because we do but i mean the type of manners you would have when you're trying to be very kind yes 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 i like that and i like any times and because we've been doing this in the past few months like having all right this week let's pretend like we're dating again and let's treat each other just you know with a lot of respect and just be extra nice and extra kind and I think that this is like a version of that and I'm so down because every time we've done the let's act like we're dating thing I find that we treat each other so well and I both of our spirits are lifted and I think that it helps us get through not just little annoyances that we have with ourselves but like with you know our surrounding issues like with work with kids with whatever and I I think it's really helpful so yeah I'm down Mm mm-hmm and it's like we got to stick to things more. Yeah. Like even the meditating thing. We tried it for one night and it was just we never did it again. And <laughs> we're we're bad at that. And I'd like to with everything I I want to stick to it and I want to be happy because I don't think we are as happy as we could be. No, and I think we're pretty damn happy and that's the thing. I think that we are pretty damn happy and I think that we are very grateful for each other and the things that we have. We always get talking about that. But I still think that you and I are capable of even so much more happiness. Yeah. And I think everyone in a relationship is like you can always be happier. It's a, it's almost a dumb statement to make. But it feels like there's just too much, compl- not complacency, too much comfort, which isn't benefiting us in a, like a joyful way. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Obviously, everybody has different things to work on. I think that, you know, we talk about this a lot because we try different things and, you know, some things work, some things don't. But no, I I think that's our biggest thing maybe is that we want to be super cool all the time and uh, like that's near impossible, but. Yeah, okay. So there you have it. We're going to be even happier than we are if that's even possible. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't know. I like... um... No, it's always... Here's the thing. It's always possible. You could be like the Dalai Lama of happiness and still you can be happier. I should say like you can be as enlightened as the Dalai Lama. You could still seek more enlightenment. And I think for us being a happy couple generally, we can still seek more happiness. 
for you, I think all of your unhappiness comes from stress and comes from wanting to do more, wanting to set us up more. And then that is the source of all of your woes. Like when we were coming, riding home today from the cottage, my mind was just so clear and I felt so good. And I was like, man, I don't have anything to worry about right now. And it felt so great. And then, of course, when I came <laughs> home, I was like, oh, my goodness, I messed up so many things, Alex. And I'm trying to, you just burped. I know, I'm sorry. I just wanted to give you another thing to worry about. Burped right in my face. I, I didn't think you noticed. Alex, you never think I'd notice, but you have the worst No, because you know what? It's We're drinking carbonated beverages and we had tacos for dinner and I'm so sorry. I yeah, honestly. It certainly doesn't smell like carbonated beverages was coming at me. I'm not like, ooh, carbonated water. Uh, but yeah, it, it was definitely a strong odor of beef. <laughs> invading my nostrils what was i talking about anyway i want to be happier i thought i was happy and then i realized i'm just one mistake away from feeling the weight of the world on my shoulders again yeah do you have a topic <laughs> sorry this was a weird one no, no no i think i think it was really good and i think that you know every couple they just they want to be happy themselves and they want their partner to be happy okay so shane speaking of happiness you did disappoint me a little bit this week why alex <laughs> <laughs> okay so we were at the cottage we made it a big thing on thanksgiving to jump in the lake in the icy water shane said he couldn't he you didn't you have reasons whatever so you didn't the next day you didn't you have reasons whatever well let me explain myself explain yourself okay so because I, I have to say i'm getting harassed about it so many people are asking why the hell didn't shane jump in the lake and i'm not even kidding people want to know so we had to prepare for an Alyssa Milano interview. And the best time to prepare is during nap time for the kids. That's mm -hmm. the only time where your brain is really can be 100%. And when, as people who know who have children, you really make use of that nap time. Mm -hmm. Like, whereas when you were single, you might waste the, an hour and a half of your life and not even think about it. These hour and a half, I'm so conscious of, and we're really trying to prep each other and make sure the interview goes correctly but you wanted to do a polar bear jump yeah during this nap time and you're like oh shane should we do it and i'm like well you know it's gonna take me like an hour out of our precious nap time here i'm gonna jump in i might get like this inner bone chill that happens <laughs> and then i have to like like try to think straight and get the questions and i want i want to be my mind to be focused i'm like i'll jump in after at nighttime because i'm gonna feel good after the Alyssa interview and then I'll, it'll be like a celebratory thing. After the Alyssa interview, I tell everyone, all right, I'm going to jump in. And your dad's like, no, no, don't. I'm like, no, no, I don't care. I want to. And I, I genuinely don't care. And he's like, no, no, it's, it's too dark and you're going to get hurt. And uh, if something bad happens, it'd be terrible. And then I, then I was thinking, okay, now I'm actually making the owner of the cottage uncomfortable. <laughs> and if I go in there and crack my head or, God forbid, something happens... He, he's going to, it's going to fall on him. So I'm like, I'll do it later in the week. And the next day when I want to do it, there's some workers show up and they take <laughs> away the dock. So this is a polar bear dive that you're supposed to do. It's not a polar bear walk in the icy, well, frigid the water slowly. When people do a polar bear dip, like when you see them doing it in wherever, where people congregate and do it, they do run in. However... We weren't running in because that is the more painful way to do it. So we were able to do it, me and my, my dad, by jumping off the dock. But I mean, typically, 
I was willing you see, to do people it. Run it's, in. Your dad's the one who wimped out. Okay, well, I have to say, we have a listener. Her name is Kayla, and she said that her boyfriend would be willing, who does not listen to our podcast, would be willing to give us a five-star rating if you were to do it. And I said, Kayla, I'm sorry. Like, we're already home. We've left the cottage. Can I think of another way to do it for your boyfriend's big five-star approval? And she said, yeah. And I said, what about ice water bucket over your head? And she said, done. So... For random listener Kayla's boyfriend's five-star approval, would you let me dump a bucket of ice water on your head? Yeah, I don't care. All right. Like, I care about the rating, but I'm not scared (laughs) of ice water. All right. Well, we're going to do it in the backyard so you get just as cold as we were when we jumped in the lake, and I'm going to enjoy every second of it. Okay. This is good. (laughs) Good. Any other topics? No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, let's move on to Alyssa. Let's <laughs> Okay, let's go to Alyssa Milano in this interview. What do we talk about? Well, we talk about Alyssa's activism, what she is passionate about. She has been writing children's books or preteen books. And she's a COVID survivor. She's a long oh hauler. God. It's very very fascinating, interesting yeah. stuff. Her experience um, is wild and it, it is incredibly unique. Uh just being a young person with the disease as a long hauler. It's it's I don't know. It's wild. She had so much to say. But let's get into that interview. But first, Alex, tell us who we are supported by. We are supported by Hello Bello. Choosing between what's best for your baby and what's best for your budget shouldn't always be a losing battle for your wallet. Hello Bello is here to lighten that load on your bank account, all while keeping your baby comfy and dry. And looking great. Looking so great. They have the cutest, softest diapers with designs that rotate all year long, and there's usually like 20 different ones you can pick from. I have Lucy convinced they are magic diapers, and she will only wear <laughs> Hello Bella diapers now. She is a diaper snob. It's true. The company was co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard, and is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. Each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-size product freebie with your first order. Plus, you can get 15% off any add-ons like bubble baths or wipes. Shipping is free and you can cancel at any time. There's no gotchas. This isn't a scam. It's just an awesome deal for you to get in on. Somehow I'm more suspicious though that you're saying it's not a scam. Well, it's just a great deal and I love great deals. So right now if you go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree30, you're going to get 30% off your diaper bundle order. That's a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowout saved. Again, that's hellobello.ca Promo code this family tree to start bundling with 30% off your first order. Don't forget, that's hellobello.ca and the promo code is this family tree 30. Do it, it's not a scam, I swear. But we are also supported by Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a Toronto based brand that makes premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids' and babies' clothing. They use GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact and non-toxic dyes. And if you want to know what GOTS is, look it up. Yeah, I don't do, ask us. I don't know, but I know it sounds pretty good. And they really do care about their clothing and the sustainability of them and how they look, which for me is important as an Insta dad. It's true. They are 
gorgeous and they have beautiful timeless wardrobe staples that can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender also very exciting they are about to launch their knit collection this will be launched the week of october 19th which is going to feature organic merino wool and upcycled fleece and sherpa fleece it's going to be a beautiful collection i cannot wait to get my hands on some mini miosh believes in quality over quantity and they're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on instagram and facebook use the promo code thisfamilytree15 at checkout for 15 percent off again that is minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15 for 15% off. Alex, can you spell Mini Miage? M-I-N-I-M-I-O-C-H-E. And this is Lucy's favorite clothing by far. This is no joke. We contacted Mini Miage because we love them and we think you will too because we are like-minded people. But let's get to our interview with Alyssa Milano right now. Alyssa, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. We really appreciate it. And first off, I just, I have to ask, we know that you are a covid long hauler that you were diagnosed months ago and how are you feeling today well thank you so much to both of you for having me on the podcast i really appreciate it and thank you for the question i am it depends on what day you ask the weird thing about being a long hauler is at least for me some days i'm totally fine and then other days i have pretty severe symptoms which consist of um Shortness of breath, heart palpitations, uh, ringing in my ear. My hair, I think, has slowed down, but it was Mm. falling out. And so, yeah, it's been six months now. So it's a struggle. And nobody knows. Oh, I had a new symptom (laughs) last week. And I I thought, well, there's no way there's a Mm. new symptom right after six months. So I call my doctor and I'm like, I have this this like bubbling under my skin feeling in my hands and my feet. And he said, oh, yeah, that's your um, small blood vessels leaking. What? what wait, what, what does that even mean? I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> I didn't even know that small blood vessels could leak. Um, is that something that's going to go away? And he said, well, I guess we're going to see. Jeez. Because we don't, we just don't know, you know, what is a long term or a longer term ramification versus like, if I'm ever gonna heal. And it kind of feels like, yeah, it's scary. It kind of feels like almost like, you know, when you hear someone talk about when they're talking about an autoimmune uh, disease that they have, they talk about flare ups. Yes. A lot. Like, that's what it feels like like when it comes it feels really really intense and it lasts for a few days and then I feel okay so it's been really frustrating and obviously you know terrifying well Alex Mm. here she has lupus so she can definitely relate to you so you understand 100% 100% even with the when you describe the bubbling in your hands it's I don't exactly get that but often I'll get like a feeling in my hands and it feels like they're on fire just a little bit like somebody's maybe holding a match to my hands and like Mm. slightly murdering them i have no idea what it is no like nor do my doctors and i'm curious if it's anything similar to the leaky blood vessels yeah it might do you find that anything makes it better like if you take a benadryl or something like that just time because for me if i take an antihistamine it starts to feel better so they think think it's, you know, histamine leaking 
wow. in the in the small blood vessels. So maybe if you get that feeling, try to take a Benadryl at mm-hmm. night and right. see if it helps. And of course, consult your doctor first. <laughs> of course, yes. So I'm sure you know quite a lot about COVID right now. You must have learned having it for so long. Are you in like a message group with other long haulers? And do you know if you're immune, for instance? Is that even known? Okay, so so my whole story is that I tested negative for COVID twice when I was acutely sick, um, which was so bizarre because I literally had every symptom you mm-hmm. could just check off. Um, and I didn't find out I had, my best friend was also sick at the same time. His test was negative, but his roommate came back positive. So we were like, I don't know, there's still a really good chance that we had this. But then I sort of like, I started to feel better and I didn't want, I have really bad anxiety too. So I kind of didn't want to go there that the possibility was that I had this thing that nobody knows anything about. Mm -hmm. So I kind of let it go. I was so tired, feeling sluggish. And Allah, my best friend, went and got an antibody test. And he he got the blood the blood draw instead of the finger prick, which Mm -hmm. at first I guess was the finger prick and that was like not not real. Um but the blood draw was more accurate and um he tested positive for the antibodies and he said, Alyssa, I guarantee you, if you go get this antibody test, you are going to test positive. And sure enough, I was positive. So that was, I want to say three, two and a half months ago, maybe. I don't know. Everything's a blur, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like time, there is no time oh, right totally. now. Mm-hmm. But um, the last time I checked my antibodies, they were negative. So, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. if I have immunity from my T blood cells, which they think is happening. I don't know if I just don't have immunity. Again, there's so little that they know about this. And that's yeah. what's been so terrifying. And then I went through a weird thing of like, oh, shit, I had this. And when I was that night, when I was like, I need to go to the emergency room, that that could have ended a lot different had I gone to the emergency room, because also that was the time when they were they were um, putting people on the ventilator. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they weren't p- putting them in the prone position. They weren't trying everything else. They were just putting them on the ventilator. And, and a lot of people passed away. Uh, it's very hard to get off of those. So I, I consider myself lucky. And I also consider myself lucky because I'm so glad it was me and not my parents or my husband or my children. I feel like we we dodged a, a major mm-hmm. tragedy in our family. Yeah. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. And and also, you know, the whole the whole time I was sick, I kept thinking about like, I have access to every medical profession imaginable. Mm -hmm. I am so lucky and I cannot imagine what people who don't have healthcare insurance or who are incarcerated or who are in detention. Mm -hmm. Like I can't imagine what those, those people are going through right now having to do this on Mm -hmm. your own basically. And then, you know, having the fear if, like just, you know, how horrible we've been to undocumented um, immigrants and like how many people didn't go to the hospital because, you know, they they 
yeah, the money or that they were undocumented and they were afraid they'd get deported, which which happened quite a bit. We were deporting people that were covid positive from our detention centers into different South American uh, countries. So, you know, it's insane. Really, yeah. really hard. Yeah. And and we don't know what the re repercussion, the long term repercussions are going to be, especially in the mental health. Oh, of course. Aspect. Yeah. And I was watching an interview with you and you were saying you felt like you were going to die when you're in the thick of it. So one, what do you tell your kids? Like you have a six year old and a nine year old. What do you tell them when you mm -hmm. feel like you're about to die? What do you tell your partner uh, like in that whole situation? And how do you make sure they don't get it? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing was I was sick and my test kept coming back negative. So I bed sharing with my daughter mm -hmm. my goodness and my doctor was like you know it's all the same soup now you know you're all living in the same soup my husband didn't get it we think or, or he might may have gotten it and had very low antibodies that didn't show up in the test but he there is some speculation that people that have type o blood um have a natural immunity to, to the virus and are less likely to get it, or if they get it, they have uh, fewer symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't know if it was like, we don't know what it was. But the night that I felt like I was not doing well, I had taken a steam shower with some eucalyptus and I'm, you know, drinking tea. Um, and I was just trying to like sweat it out and I got out of the shower and I basically just crumbled. I could not breathe and I fell to the ground. And just then my Bella, my six-year-old walked into the room and she started to back away. And I was like very quickly put on a brave, brave face. Mm -hmm. David rushed her out of the room and I called my doctor and I said, I, I said to him, I, this I, we need to figure out what what I need to do because this is not good. And he was listening to my breathing and he said, I don't think you should go to the emergency room. What do you have in the house? Which was such a crazy thing, yeah. like question to me, like, what do I have in the house? Well, I have he said, do you have an inhaler? And I said, nope, I don't have an inhaler. He said, do you have. A nebulizer. And I was like, yeah, I have a nebulizer. My son has um, asthma after he mm -hmm. plays sports. So I have a nebulizer and pediatric albuterol. He said, I want you to do that every two hours. I said, I have Benadryl, Mucinex, like anything that resembled yeah. a cough, something. And he said, I want you to take all of it. Oh, shit. And let me know how you feel in a couple hours. And so I guess the combination of everything that I took plus a heating pad on my lungs um, allowed me to get through that night. Every two hours, I did the um, the breathing treatment. And then it was kind of like that for a good maybe three days. Um, and then I started to feel better and feel like my lungs were healing. I still feel a little, it's not tightness. It's, it's It feels like sometimes they're like inflamed, mm -hmm. like everything is a little congested in there. Um, so I'll, I'll do breathing treatments every once in a while still, but yeah, it's been quite a, it's been quite a journey. Mm -hmm. I bet. And just see the relationship with your husband, like people, when you, you take the vow, it's always in sickness and in health. And the presumption is that's going to happen when you're in your, mm -hmm. your late seventies, eighties around there. Yeah. Uh, what's the strain like on the relationship, if any, or does it just bring you closer together? 
Well, I think, I mean, I have anxiety disorder, so he wasn't getting so off so easy anyway. It wasn't, <laughs> I didn't promise him a, a rose garden. Um, and there has always been an element of, uh, you know, because in, when my, when my anxiety is at its, its worst, I'm pretty, it's pretty debilitating. Mm-hmm. So, um, we have, you know, that kind of understanding that we take care of each other. We're both very nurturing people, thank God. And it's part of the reason um, I married him is because I knew he was going to be a, a great husband and caretaker mm-hmm. for us all and that a great partner in the marriage and, and raising kids. And, you know, I think that the hardest thing was in the beginning when we first got together. I'm I'm older than he is. I'm eight years older. I think. Yeah. Eight years older than he is. And when we first got together, um, he had this this aversion to seeing me in any kind of pain. Mm-hmm. And and it made him like angry. Um, but he has gotten he's grown so much into um uh understanding that there's going to be times that he yeah. just can't fix fix everything. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, a lot of that was having having children because, as as you know, having kids, you can't control everything. You really have to let go of that of that instinct of wanting to control that everyone's Absolutely. happiness, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, but it's been really. I mean, we've been together for fifteen years now. It's been so awesome just to see, um, not only the growth, but before the growth, the recognition that there was an issue that he needed to work through with that. Um, and he's, uh, he's, he's, he's done a, a really nice job. So I'm very, I'm very happy. I, I mean, I, the, being in quarantine has made me uh, love him even more. And I always loved him more than anything. But I just keep thinking, you, you know, is this how people like, like made commitments to husband and wives and then like had to in a in a wagon and horse and buggy drive across the good like together right like is this is so it feels very kind of primitive and i just Mm -hmm. thank god every day that it's that it's him um because we laugh a lot and um and the the same things that are important to me are important to him and it's a blessing yeah well, I have anxiety issues too, but it's an odd effect when, because I'm always preparing for doom and gloom unnecessarily, when doom and gloom does happen, I feel like I'm then uniquely, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm uniquely prepared for it. Do you feel like that or it yes, exacerbates? Yes, that's exactly, <laughs> yeah. no, when we went into quarantine before I got sick, I kept saying to my therapist, I was like, why do I feel so good? He's like, because everyone else is functioning at your level of anxiety. And you could look and go, see, see, I told you everything is crazy. And you could just sort of sit back and, and, uh, you know, and, and watch everyone else crumble Mm -hmm. and have the experience of, of crumbling for, you know, 25 years under your belt. Um, but yes, yes, I have found I am, I am, I am very good at, um, at quarantining and there being a pandemic and being sick with that pandemic. Go figure. That's wild. So we've, we've been 
enjoying in a sense the pandemic because like you like we enjoy each other it's great the one thing that i don't know how i deal with aside from getting sick in your shoes i thank god that our kids are young like we have a three-month-old and a two-year-old your kids are a little older how do you explain not only the pandemic to them but you getting sick with this illness that everybody's so terrified of well luckily we found out i was sick post being acutely sick so they were like you have the antibodies high five you know like they were like they were super proud of me and that i had the antibodies but um i don't know i think i think parenting is is hard and i think this is a specific time that Mm -hmm. is um really difficult um but I'm having more like the the pandemic to me is something that you can scientifically explain. And it's also goes along what you already teach your children as far mm. as hygiene and washing your hands. And when you're in school, making sure you sneeze in your elbow. Like there's a lot of things that we have already um you know, discussed within the family that Mm -hmm. this can be expanded on to cover the pandemic. What I am having a hard time uh, with and that I do my very best, but it is very difficult, is the political turmoil that we are in as a nation and how much to tell them how you know, what exactly to say. I I feel it's really always important to meet kids where they are um, mentally. So it's different for both of the kids. Like I will watch, I'll, I'll watch the news with Milo. He's nine and he will have a very uh, distinct, clear perspective on the difference between right and wrong. Whereas Bella is a little bit more curious as to like how, horrible like bad guys but Mm. she thinks bad guys are like villains she's six how bad guys could wind up running our country Mm -hmm. like she i think she thinks it's you know it's like a villain like sitting in the white house kind of feels that way yeah Yeah. Yeah. out of of the mouths of babes but yeah it's interesting and then to you know like we have a lot of Friends, not a lot, but we have friends that are Trump supporters and trying to like balance out. No, mommy's really upset about what's happening in the world. But Mm -hmm. of course, we still love uncle so and so because, you know, we have to. He's part of the family. And and, um, so that's been tricky to Mm -hmm. sort of navigate, like how much how much. Like, I don't want to make them um, so biased that they grow up with this uh, prejudice Mm -hmm. against, you know, the red team, which is how the media basically portrays our our politics in this country. Mm -hmm. So I try to keep it very people, you know, very honest, but people can have different differing opinions and you could still love that person and um you know we just always have to work for the people that are being hurt what about something that's uh, politicized but also scientific and dangerous like covid knowing what you went through you nearly died when someone's an anti-masker mm-hmm. can you associate with them or is that where the line is too crossed 
No, I mean, we are able to say, you know, um, Donald Trump and and the people that follow him and the people that 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 believe in in his ideology mm-hmm. believe him when he says that masks do nothing or that masks are taking away your freedom. But wh- how I've said it is we don't wear these masks for us. We wear them to 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 protect other people. Mm-hmm. We wear them to protect, you know, Mammy and Papa and Aunt Charlotte and, and Uncle Corey. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. so it's not I try to turn it away from like a selfish point of view, which is very much, I think, what the um, non mask wearing people are, are looking at as it's, you know, it's taking away their personal freedom. And I tried to say it's not about our freedom. It's about other people's health and, and how we take care of each other. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at the numbers as of today. It's like 215,000 deaths and what, 7.8 million cases right now in the U.S. Like we're watching from Canada, terrified, hoping that, you know, our numbers are going up right now too, second wave. But we, it's, it's so different than anything we've experienced. And then you, your president, he is like disco dancing on a stage at a rally, telling people not to let it dominate their lives. So, again, you having been through it, is he full of shit? It's infuriating. He is full of shit and it's infuriating. So I think that it has always been a strategy for him to play down. I mean, obviously it has been. He knew back in February when we when the Woodward tapes were released, that was in February where he said that he knew how um, contagious it was and how deadly it was and that it was airborne. We didn't find out that information until much later. And so um, I think he in his mind, he knew that this was going to that this epidemic was going to tank the economy mm-hmm. and that he needed the economy in order to win the election. And so his undermining it, I think, was his way of getting people back to work and getting the economy back to moving. And, you know, I don't think it is a coincidence that the, the most important people who had to go back to work, the people who worked in grocery stores and nurses and doctors and our male men and women and uh, the people that had to, you know, were working paycheck to paycheck to make Mm -hmm. ends meet. And so, of course, those people can't choose not to go back to work. And so uh, part of me feels like this was a deliberate strategy, not not that he was I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he was sacrificing people, but that's Mm -hmm. certainly a consideration. And I think it was all just based on the election. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that he did not think it was it would get as out of hand or maybe he thought that the governors would step in more than they did, you know, which m- most Democratic governors did close down their states. It was the Republican governors that kept them open. And now we're seeing well, we're seeing surges everywhere. But for a while, it was Republican states that were red states that were uh, surging. Um, But yeah, it's infuriating. It's infuriating. And again, we don't have health care in this country. And they 
Trump and his administration are um, bringing a lawsuit up to the Supreme Court to basically take away the Affordable Care Act from 30 million Americans um, on the basis of it being unconstitutional, which is also bullshit. So there's a lot going on. It's very complex. But the bottom line is follow the money. Mm hmm. Follow the money. And the money means that, you know, he had to reopen the economy because um, he couldn't be wrong about the pandemic and tank the, the economy and wind up winning. Of course. Um, now, you've been so vocal with so many things throughout your career and you've been famous throughout your whole career, very famous from a very young age. But now it seems like you're even more famous for activism than your acting work. For you, is that something you enjoy or is it almost a necessary evil and a duty you feel like you have to fulfill? It's interesting because I don't really, I mean, I started activism when I was, uh, or being an advocate when I was 15 years old. I was friends with a little boy named Ryan White, who is HIV positive, um, who asked me to go on TV to kiss him to prove that Donahue, you couldn't right? get HIV. Yes, no. HIV AIDS from, from casual contact. And that moment really changed my life. And it really put in perspective what being like a celebrity mm -hmm. meant and what having a platform meant, although we didn't call it a platform then. And so I've never been really able to separate the two because to me, celebrityism is just another thing that feeds my platform, which enables me to be an activist and an advocate. It's the thing that gives me the most fulfillment in my life. And I've been always politically active. It's just, you know, now it's social media. People, you can get the word out yourself. Like when I was first, you know, started becoming an activist and then um, became politically active, we didn't have social media. So it was, you you had to get like offered a an article in a in a magazine in order to tell your story or mm -hmm. you know go on local news if you were working for elections or whatever so you were really created and molded by the, what the media wanted the, the perception to be right and now i think we all everyone um all celebrities have this really incredible power that we get to sort of tell people who we are mm -hmm. and you could either come along for the ride or or not mm -hmm. and i think it's also made people aware of who they who their celeb or fave celebrities aren't like yeah. who are the people that aren't vocal on their social yeah. media when all of this is going on right now and shame on them well, yeah. that's there you go. So you're kind of answering that for me. I was so curious your stance on people who have influence who don't use that influence to say, I'm voting for this person. Here's why I'm not voting for this person. And here's why. Yeah, it is weird. Uh, sometimes the silence can be deafening. Yeah. Uh, but I wonder if some people are scared of being typecast as themselves. I know that's yeah. weird, but do you ever feel like it? it's hurt your career because Alyssa Milano is such a thing now? No, I think I think if anything, they don't speak out because they're worried about alienating half of yeah. their audience mm -hmm. who doesn't think the way they think. I don't really care. 
<laughs> I mean, Good if you're you. not going to watch some TV show that I'm in because of of that I'm trying to uh, fight for those that don't have a voice, then that's your issue. And if people are not going to hire me for, you know, having a strong opinion, then that's their issue. Luckily, thus far, I have found actually that the work that I have gotten, uh, especially in the last four years, has been a lot more interesting, a lot more uh, soulful, a lot funnier in, in some circumstances. You know, I think that that is a direct correlation to just being taken more seriously as a mm. human because of my political um, outspokenness. but Or maybe it's just, you know, growing older and having more interesting roles for women that are in... But it's not supposed to be that way, right? Like, when you're in your late 40s, you're supposed to get less, less work. And I've found that I just get more interesting work where it's, like, more character -y. And the cool... I gotta tell you, the coolest thing ever... I mentor a bunch of young people, and it's it's one of my joys in my life. Um, but to me, the coolest thing in the world is to have this like huge, long career and then be out in public and someone say to me, hey, you're that activist. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm always like, I'm always <laughs> like, this is the most amazing. It's like a whole different. It's like a whole different demographic that knows me as a different thing. Um, so it's it's really it's really interesting. Um, but uh, I'm so I feel so, so blessed to be um, to be able to to use my platform in this in this way. And you're also an author. I was just I was reading your book actually uh, this morning and um, it's it's older than a children's book. I wouldn't say you're a children's Pretty. author. What, what is that called? That that age group? Middle school. Middle school. Mi middle school. Yeah. So, you know, I think that middle school is a really tough age for kids. And it's something that we don't really because it's such a short amount of time. We don't spend a lot of time um, recognizing it, mm -hmm. that it's so hard uh, for young people. But basically, it is the first big change in their lives. Right. They usually go from their grade school into a whole new school, have you know, have to make new friends, be in new classrooms, also start to get, you know, insecure about the way they look or about their bodies. And so to me, it was always like there's this part of. And you probably see it in your two year old, there's this part that young people that young children innately have, and it's this ability to want to help other people and this this real empathy empathy and compassion and you know it's why if someone falls in the playground you know there's four kids going are you okay do you need anything um and it's really beautiful and i was trying to figure out like at what point do kids lose that and become more self-centered and the only thing i could really figure out uh-oh bella's coming in crying hold on no no worries <laughs> Oh, sorry. oh my goodness that was one of the cutest saddest things ever it was making me tear it up it made me tear up and i just couldn't stop because that sounds like oh. our daughter lucy albeit with a better vocabulary and it's like <laughs> things don't really change they learn more words but you know yeah I, I have that to look forward to i've been getting nervous about her growing up too quickly 
But that kind of uh, made me feel a little better about that. And little girls are the most, I don't know. I love my son so much, but it is so different. <laughs> yeah. It is just so different. It is so different. So where was I? Anyway, the, the book, yeah. So So it was like my way of trying to figure out how do we continue to nurture the empathy that that children already have in them. And I think they may lose it right around middle school time because it's when everything changes for them and they start to, you know, go through puberty and their bodies change. And so um, the books are there's four of them in the series. The last one that just came out is called Hope Project Class President. And um, they are about a little activist girl named Hope who wants to change the world, but she has to get through middle school first. And um, I love her. I love this character so much. Uh, and it's been really great. Well, it's such a great way to introduce kids to politics. When I was Absolutely. growing up, politics was just an adult thing. And I was going to learn about politics when I when mm-hmm. I was an adult. Then I got into my 20s. But I was still figuring out my life, so I wasn't quite an adult yet and ready to get into politics. And then I found I never really learned. Here's the thing is, like, this is more about, I wouldn't say it's political because they're just issues that everybody faces. Like, the first book is about Hope trying to find her voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second book is about Hope becoming a community organizer and trying to save her um, neighborhood animal shelter. And then this last book is about Hope running for class president. And so we try to, to, uh, um, my co-author's name is Debbie Rigaud and she's amazing. My, my illustrator is Eric Keyes. And we try to fold in the lesson, mm-hmm. not in a political way, in a nonpartisan way, but just to get kids, um, uh, you know, starting to think about how they contribute uh, to the world and to society and their communities. Because I think it's important that that kids grow up knowing um, that they need to take care of each other. They need to take yeah. care of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, Absolutely. So you're in a position different than us. We have two girls. Uh, you have a boy and a girl. Is there a different way to talk to a boy than a girl, for instance, if you were talking about consent? Would it be a different approach than uh, talking to a little girl, than talking to a boy? Well, the great thing about having a girl and a boy is that I could teach those lessons like while we're all in the same room, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm teaching my my little girl and and saying, you know, if anyone ever tries to, you know, Milo being the older one will do things like you know, just take one of Bella's dolls or something. And mm-hmm. I'll be like, no, 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 no. You have to ask her if it's okay. And if she says no, you cannot have that. No means no. You know, so putting those lessons in not, um, you know, sexual terms, obviously, but teaching them those lessons of, um, you know, this is this is my body and I don't have to do that. And um, having Milo respect that mm-hmm. has been really cool and then um also things like bella doesn't read yet she's just starting to read but we let bella pick the book every other night and you know there was a time that milo was like i don't under i don't understand she can't read why does she get to pick the book you know and i would say because what she wants even if she Mm -hmm. can't do it is equal to what you want so we have to split that up and now he'll say 
mom, it's Bella's turn to pick the book, you know. And so I think it's, it's I mean, who knows? Parenting is... <laughs> It's hard. <laughs> Who knows if I'm all all I know is I um I love them so much that it feels like my heart is outside of my body most of the time. And uh I don't know how parents can can overcome the grief of losing a child mm-hmm. because I, I just can't even wrap my head around it. And I have I work a lot in the gun violence prevent uh prevention movement and um and there, I have a lot of friends who lost children. And I, I don't, you know, it's so scary to me. But I kind of feel like, and if my childhood is any indication that um, you can pretty much overcome anything as long as you have your parents' love. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, you know, being a child actor, not the easiest thing in the world. But my parents were amazing and made me feel loved and, and mm. uh, safe and comforted. And so I think that that's something that I try to remind myself of quite a bit is mm-hmm. there could be a lot that, that goes haywire during during a child's childhood. Um, but as long as you you mm-hmm. love them and guide them and protect them, yeah. that they'll they'll be OK. I mean, I think about this pandemic all the time with raising kids like Same. like are they going to wipe down the groceries when they get older, like what lasting? Yeah, truly. You know what lasting implications yeah. will there be? Well, there's there's trauma, like so many different kinds of trauma at different phases in our life, right? And I know that you help to reignite Toronto Burke's Me Too. Will you be sharing, like you know, you discuss consent and equality with your kids at this age, but will you be sharing that trauma and that part of your life with mm-hmm. them when? they're a little bit older or is that something that you're just going to get keep yeah, away for yeah. sure for sh- no for sure yeah i think it's important to um to share those stories and to show them that you know that you don't have to be a victim that you mm-hmm. can survive and uh and i th- think i don't know what the right age is for that but i will uh i'm sure i'll know when the time is is right to to share with them and I'd like to share it with them before they learn about it because me too is I mean I just took a feminism class from UC Santa Cruz and the whole like last three classes was about the me too movement and I was so tripped out I was like I I can't compute that college kids are learning about you know a tweet that I sent out so um obviously I've got to I've got to talk to them before they they find out yeah. And and I'll figure that out. I'll figure that out. I'm very, very open with them. Mm-hmm. I feel like because their their imaginations are so much more intricate and expansive than the truth or the reality of a situation. Mm-hmm. You know, like anything that they work up in their head is worse than I think what the reality is. And it's yeah. it's important to, again, meet them where they are. Um, psychologically, but still be as open and as hu- as humanly possible. I don't know what we get from hiding hiding things mm-hmm. from them, especially especially something so um, pivotal in my life. 
Okay, Alyssa, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that. We're supported by Hiccupop. They make innovative products from pregnancy to toddlerhood. The designers, engineers, and computer geeks behind Hiccupop aren't just manufacturers, but they're parents too. And they're dedicated to creating cutting-edge products that meet the highest safety and quality standards. You know, I sound like a broken record here. But we only contact companies that we truly believe in and that we truly love. And this is one of the most top-rated companies there is with one of the best names to say. Hiccupop. <laughs> They're amazing for families who, like Shane and I, are always on the go. They have their pack-and-play mattresses, inflatable toddler beds, collapsible baby booster seats with trays, and the inflatable car booster seat, so many of which are top sellers on Amazon. Life doesn't work the same without them, I assure you. Oh, absolutely. They're luxuries that you just can't travel without. And the products are ethically produced, which is really important to us, as Hiccupop takes pride in working closely with nonprofits in the community that serve the disadvantaged. So check out Hiccupop on either Amazon.com or Hiccupop.com and use the promo code FAMILYTREE20 for 20% off. Limit of one use per customer. But again, you can check them out at Amazon.com or Hiccupop.com and the promo code is FAMILYTREE20. So make sure to check that out. But we are also supported by... My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. For more than 25 years, My Breast Friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and has been used in thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. And let's get this out of the way right now. Breast is spelled B-R-E-S-T. There's no A. Why? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it was copyrighted or something i can tell you though that shane and i both love this pillow i use it for breastfeeding shane use, has used it in the past without even knowing really for what i use it for to bottle feed lucy oh yeah yeah to support your arm babe because it hurts without it honestly and my breast friend has been the pillow of choice for nursing mothers like myself for bottle feeding parents like you and lactation consultants for more than 20 years who credit the pillow for helping them achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought were possible it's simply the best most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding and you can purchase my breast friend online at buybuybaby.com target.com walmart.com babylist.com and amazon.com and alex she don't lie so when she (laughs) says it's the best it is the best but let's return to the best interview in the world that might be a little hyperbole but still back to Alyssa milano you seem like such a down-to-earth nice person which is totally at odds with what you always hear about the uh (laughs) You know, the cliche child star going through all these things. And how do you keep your own kids maintaining that without being spoiled, for lack of a better term, growing up in this Hollywood style lifestyle with a famous parent and a very powerful father? Um, We do a lot of things um, and uh, for like we'll we'll go to food banks and drop off food. We um, uh, Milo made a card for a child in Armenia um, because of the genocide that's going on there. Um, so we we you know are very uh, honest with them that they're really lucky mm-hmm. and that we have to take care of those who are less fortunate. And there are many. Mm-hmm. Uh, they trick or treat for UNICEF every year. Um, uh, you know, th- I think it's super important to to show them pictures of 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 children throughout the world so that they know how blessed they are. Um, 
although there are 14 million children in the United States who do not have enough food to eat, which is crazy. I think, you know, keeping and, and nurturing that that empathy and compassion and and making service part of their lives. Got to make service part of everyone's life. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I was listening to an interview with somebody recently, and they said that's the only way that you can feel truly fulfilled is when you are serving in some way. And you kind of have to find your calling, find in what capacity you want to serve in. And that's the only way you can be fulfilled. And I was curious because you do so much serving and you always have. I know you've been involved with PETA, the Me Too, now, you know, campaigning in your own way against Trump, against the right wing. And you get demonized for it. Like I've seen things that have been written. I'm sure you get DMs, you get trolls. Then with COVID too, losing your hair, going through that. How the hell do you keep your confidence every day? How do you keep mm. your own spirits up going through all this and giving so much and getting a lot of shit? I think I just got, first of all, it's been part of the trolling has been a part of my life forever even before right. social media like i kissed a boy who is hiv positive on mm -hmm. tv in the middle of um a time when there there was so much stigma around the disease um and i got a lot of from like kids in my school you know i was always treated like an outcast um uh because of that and that was super hard as a teenager. So I don't know that I know that using your voice exists without getting a certain amount of trolls and mm -hmm. hardship. I think I just got to this point where, well, a few things. One is I think I realized that I'm really effective and that's why people come after me. Mm -hmm. um, but also I think that there is, that the mission is more important than my ego being hurt. There are days that I can't take it, though, that I won't look at my Twitter feed at all, that I'll just kind of use it as a broadcasting tool. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, I just think it's so ridiculous that anyone would be so incredibly hurtful to someone that they don't know at all. And that kind of uh, maliciousness kind of discredits them fighting me because they can't fight me intelligently on the issues. So they just attack me. So it's easy kind of to put that in perspective and to say, um, well, this is not, you know, right. this is not what's important. And, and I don't answer to those people. I answer to, you know, my family and, and my husband and the people in my life that are, um, have been my friends forever mm -hmm. and who are supportive. I know when I do something horribly wrong because they'll tell me. Right. I don't need yeah. the trolls telling me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, why do you think you are so effective? Like the Me Too hashtag or whatever was around before you, but you really popularized it mm -hmm. in the most insane way. Why does everyone listen to you more than other people? I like to think it's because I'm educated on the issues, um, but still speak to them um, in an accessible way. And so, I, I, I mean, I don't really know. I also think that there's something to being a television actor and having – it's different than film, right? Like people don't have to pay 
to go see you work. They kind of invite you into their homes, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. there is this kind of accessibility, I think, that television actors have much more say than like, you know, a Tom Cruise or something like that, where, um, you know, so I think that that has something to do with it. Um, but I also think people know that it's authentic. I think people can just search Alyssa Milano politics and, you know, you'll see posts from the 90s of me campaigning or, or you know, a picture of, of me in, in the Reagan White House lobbying for the endowment of the arts or you know so i think that there's some there's an authenticity to it that it doesn't you know because it feels like uh, when a lot of people do celebrities do speak up sometimes it feels like that's a photo op and i don't think people ever saw me as that person Mm -hmm. do you ever look at that accessibility as a curse when you're walking around like obviously you probably haven't been out of the house in, in in a long time but i mean when you were do is, are people crossing the line and approaching you and trying to interrupt your meals? And uh, how has that affected your life being so like you feel like everyone's best friend, I'm sure? I think it's better than the alternative. I think not being accessible is uh, probably more a more bizarre livelihood or life than than being accessible because being accessible means people can come over to me, take a picture, then understand that I'm with my family or that I'm eating dinner. And then the moment is is gone. And I take that responsibility very seriously. Mm-hmm. And the way I feel is if I can make that two minute meeting something that's special for that person, you don't know what these people are going home to. Why not give them a moment of of happiness? I think that's probably a lot healthier mentality than people whispering or pointing or like following you around. And that I don't know how people deal with that Mm. or having to have bodyguards and like all that whole thing. So I think being accessible just allows me to be more of myself in public than if I if I weren't accessible, Um, then I think I feel like I was always on guard. Yeah, mm-hmm. paranoia. And I'm always, you know? I'm always so curious too with people in your position. So considering all of the amazing things that your career has gifted you with and then all of the challenges. In regards to your own kids, is, you know, a career in Hollywood something that you'd be cool with mm-hmm. or something that you want to keep them away from? Well, you know, before I had them, I would have said no way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. I will not let them do this. It's too hard. Um, But then after I had them, I kind of realized that they just kind of come out who they are. And it's our job as parents to give them opportunity, um, an opportunity to do what they love. And whether that means baseball or, you know, a dance class or... Mm or a drama class, it's it's sort of us to, up to us to nurture whatever they're natural, naturally inclined to gravitate towards. Luckily, both of my kids are athletes, and neither one is showing any desire to be <laughs> an actor. Um, so uh, it's easy for me to say that I'd be okay with it. But um, yeah, I think... 
I don't I don't think either. I mean, my daughter is kind of, you know, she'll do dance parties and mm-hmm. interpretive dance and like she's more of a performer than he is, but they're both super athletic and they find great uh, fulfillment and happiness uh, playing sports. Right. And my last question is, uh, when do you think, I feel like you have special knowledge somehow because you went through COVID. When do you think we'll be out of this? Uh, and what things are you going to take away from this experience that you're going to carry forth into the future once this is all behind us? I think that we are going to hopefully elect Joe Biden, who will then mend our relationship with the World Health Organization, and we will be able to have a much more global response to the pandemic where um, the world is involved in the uh, trying to, um, you know, just lock it down. Just because, you know, if, if we're not out spreading it, there's no way for it to get anywhere. So I think once Joe Biden's in office, which is February, Mm -hmm. I think is the inauguration that will start to, um, or maybe January, but uh, not soon enough, but we'll start (laughs) to see a more more global response Mm -hmm. to a lot of things that have been ignored, you know, not only just the pandemic. So, I mean, if that's, I would say... (laughs) I mean, I think we're looking at next, I mean, maybe a year from now, maybe a year from now. And the second part of the question was just, was there any takeaways, anything that you've like, oh, I'm going to apply this to my life going forward forever? I I think that I am more conscious now of, uh, you know, how illness spreads. And I mean, I don't think I'll ever go on a on a flight without a mask again. Oh my God. I mean, it's crazy that we ever did that for hours and hours and hours. Right? Like it's just, so that kind of thing of staying that closeness that we had before, I don't know that I'm ever going to shake someone's hand again. Like I feel like maybe we should take the cue from some Asian countries and and maybe like bow or nod our heads to each other when we're introduced (laughs) exactly um but yeah i don't think there's uh we can ever take um that for granted again uh which kind of makes me a little sad but i guess we're adaptive as humans and and we'll figure it out like we always have we will evolve and grow and um hopefully come out the other side of this in a better place than when we went into it Mm -hmm. no i feel the same way and my last question for you Alyssa, is so frivolous compared to everything else we've talked about but i I gotta know so you were on the view like within the week right like when when was that a few days ago what color were you wearing on your lips because i was looking at that and i was trying to run it by all of my favorite what shades. was i wearing you had like a really beautiful pink color on your lips and i was like i need that i need it was so pretty was, i don't even top? know what oh, it, the top i well, think you, you had like a white top with like stars or flowers on it and then it's like a pretty pink color on i don't your know lips. i'll look for a oh I'll my god look for a picture <laughs> 
Oh my god! Online or look for the video, and I'll let you know. But it was probably <laughs> like I stick to um, I stick to like a cranberry. Yeah. So it was it was probably that. I don't know. Gorgeous. It's so weird doing interviews over Zoom. It's yeah. like I change my lighting every day because I just feel like mm. I, sh- I should, you know. I'll change the backdrop. Like the other side of my room is just completely like a gray wall. So sometimes I'll do just the simple gray. <laughs> yeah, look at our our background. It's yeah. terrible right now. Oh, yeah, it's awful. <laughs> yeah. The, no, but that's uh, what my other side of my room looks like. Yeah. Well, you got to do what you got to do. And I am so thankful for Zoom because it allowed us to sit down with you. And Alyssa, where can people go to check out Hope, to buy Hope and all those books and to follow you and your activism and your projects? Oh, thank you so much for asking. Um, Hope is available at all bookstores, uh, also on Amazon. But I, I would prefer you buy it from independent bookstores um cuz i think amazon i think jeff bezos has enough money yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and if you can if you can support a bookstore uh that is owned by a person of color that's even better um and uh i'm on twitter at uh alyssa underscore milano i'm on instagram at milano underscore alyssa because someone took my name which is so lame um, and then I'm on TikTok as Alyssa underscore Milano and, um, Snapchat and yeah, everywhere. And Alyssa.com is my, um, website. And then my podcast is called Sorry, Not Sorry. And that's available everywhere you get your podcasts. Wow. And wow, you're a very, very busy <laughs> person. Do you have any other uh, film or television projects coming up? Uh, we just announced that we're going to be doing a sequel to Who's the Boss, which I'm really? super excited wow. about. That's incredible. Yeah. Is Tony going to so be So it'll be, yes, it'll be me nice. and Tony and him coming to visit me for a weekend and then never leaving and helping me raise my kids. <laughs> that sounds amazing. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited about that and the opportunity to like fully come full circle in my life, you know, and, and go back to this character that that gave me so much. Oh, I love That's I incredible. love Samantha. Yeah, the, I've been a biggest fan Samantha. of yours for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's very surreal Yay. for me. Uh, thank you so much yeah, for absolutely. doing this interview, and uh, thank you, you have a great thank night. Thank you both. Absolutely. Hope your thank daughter's you. thumb God is okay. Thank you. God bless you both. Take care. Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs> thank Take you. Care, She's Alyssa. fine. She's off playing. <laughs> bye. Have a good night. Bye-bye. There you have it, Alyssa Milano. See, I find that Alyssa is like a renaissance woman. She's doing everything. She's got her hand in so many different pots, and she seems to be so good at whatever it is she gets involved with, even if it's surviving COVID. Yeah. It's, well, I feel like you took, like you do this often, and I talk about this often, you took what I said off the beginning, how everything she does is number one, <laughs> and then you just reinterpreted but added the COVID part. So this is the thing you do. I told you, I, I am the big limp. limp I'm the big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm sure everyone gets that reference and knows exactly what you mean. Listeners, what I talked about recently, how throughout that movie, he hears a phrase somewhere, whether it be on the news or in a conversation with other people, and then he integrates either that word or that phrase into his own dialogue later in the movie. And then you think, oh, like... The big Lebowski's got something good to say here, but it's like, nah, he's just regurgitating shit here earlier. Sometimes it can still be good stuff. But let's go to Daniela Monet. Now, this is someone I didn't really know anything about. And then I started researching her and I was like, whoa, this is 
one of the biggest people we've ever talked to in terms of popularity and scope of her career and how longevity mm-hmm. like this woman has her hands in a lot of stuff much like Alyssa Milano does and it's very fitting they're on the same episode I feel like in real life they would be great friends so Daniela is a huge star on Nickelodeon well she was now she, she's kind of transitioned her career mm-hmm. and it's funny because she is so popular and I can guarantee I could say her name to anybody even a few years younger than me and everybody would go crazy for her but you and I are just above the age that would have been watching during her time acting and it was so much fun to kind of discover her and discover her popularity and how huge she is and how successful she is but I really just felt kind of connected to her through motherhood and through you know her outlook on life and being a mom doing it all like that was where I think it's so much fun to make connections with people that you might not have anything in common with otherwise. Yeah, but, she was very down to earth. Oh my God, relatable. incredibly. But uh, let's get to this conversation. But first, Alex, tell us who we are supported by. We are supported by Beluga Baby. Beluga Baby's wrap carriers allow you to hold and comfort your baby hands-free with their unique four-way stretch bamboo fabric. Studies show that baby wearing can reduce crying by 40%, and this is a huge reason why we love baby wearing so much in our house. Oh, I ran my own personal study. It works. <laughs> and since you can use your beluga wrap straight from birth, you'll be giving yourself a way calmer postpartum. It's been, like, aside from the crying toddler, pretty heavenly in our house since Betty's been born. Thank you, Beluga Baby. The fabric is so light and airy that you don't feel confined in any way, and neither does your baby. And the bounce helps with baby's gas and colic. They're certified hip-healthy by the International Hip Dysplasia Institute, and there's free shipping across Canada and the U.S. So go to belugababy.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 at checkout for 10% off. Again, that is belugababy.com or .ca and promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off. Well, they're very stylish and cool, and I recommend them for that reason alone. Hell yeah. And they just launched new shades for the fall and new designs for the fall. So check those out because they're really gorgeous. True that. But we are also supported by The Bear Home. The Bear Home is a Canadian company that makes all natural soaps, detergents, and cleaners that are safe for you, your home, and the planet. Obviously, this is so important to us as a family just because we want to put natural things on our body and we don't want to contribute negatively to the environment that we're living in. And you may have heard us do a bit the bear home read before and we gush about the soaps we love the soaps <laughs> but now we love the, the oh spray. my gosh the lemon and tea tree spray is incredible do I've, women get that inner combustible heat when they're cleaning like when you're kind of frustrated what do you mean okay maybe you don't but <laughs> when i'm cleaning i get a little bit frustrated and i get hot or when i'm putting together like an ikea table or something but with the bear home products it is a joy. This isn't me exaggerating. Oh, yeah. No, it's no, no. actually fun to use because it just smells so fresh and clean. You forget you're cleaning. No, I agree. And the more you do clean, Shane, the hotter you do get. But Oh, come on. I clean more than you. Get out. <laughs> Their soaps are scented with organic essential oils. They're biodegradable and they're made in Canada, obviously. Best of all. Also, their products come in glass bottles that you can refill at home with their convenient refill boxes that give you six times the amount of the product, reducing the use of single-use plastics. So head over to thebearhome.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off your order. Again, that is thebearhome.ca and bear like B-A-R-E, bear naked, not grizzly bear, and promo code thisfamilytree20. So bear is spelled B-A-R-E, just to be clear. You got it. 
<laughs> oh, not that type of bear. But let's get to that interview with Daniela Monet. Daniela, thank you so much for joining with us today. It's such a treat to be able to talk to you. So you are, okay, and tell me if I'm missing anything, an actress, an ethical investor, a businesswoman, a YouTuber, a mother, and you wear so many hats. But how do you identify yourself or kind of define your job description? That's a great question. Um, I think you you nailed it all. I like to just say that I, I usually run with an ethical entrepreneur because I feel like that really puts an umbrella over my mission. And my mission really is to just create kinder companies that are more well-rounded, that um, exist for the conscious consumer, that create a more plant-based and ethical uh, world and planet. Mm-hmm. So that's been my my mission. And then I think above all is, you know, my new job as a mom mm-hmm. <laughs> and really wearing that hat loud and proud because that is beyond a full-time job. Oh my God, yeah. So obviously the mom job is brand new, but being yeah. kind of an ethical activist entrepreneur, when did that take over, do you think, from being maybe at one point in your life, maybe being an actress was how you define your career? When I started to really lean into what gave me most purpose and before I became a mom, you know, I had been vegan for well over 18 years. And Mm -hmm. so I just wanted to have a hand in that movement and acting gave me that leverage to build that trust and rapport with my audience. And so it was a really, it was gradual, but it was also a very organic transition into being an investor and then becoming an entrepreneur and becoming a co-founder in companies because I I feel as though people trust those that are, you know, relatable mm-hmm. and real. And yes, I may be on TV and that might get my foot in the door, but at the end of the day, if you watch me on YouTube or Instagram or whatever, like I'm I'm pretty just I'm me. And mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot more than just an actress there. And I think people trust that. Do you think that consumerism in general is switching to more ethical and sustainable products? Because I think about myself and I started switching everything I used over to ethically made, sustainably produced, uh, cruelty free, um, although we aren't vegan. Um, When I was in my early 20s and that became really important to me. But do you think that the younger generations are getting into it now or do you think it's something that people realize like as they get older? I think both. I think it has no age. I mean, at any point, you know, you can wake up and decide to to make a difference mm-hmm. and change something in your own lifestyle. But yeah, I think younger. Absolutely. I mean, I was fairly young when the light bulb went off for me. And then I think it kept going off over and over again until I mean, I feel like I'm still evolving in so many ways. But I'm seeing it happen earlier on, which I mm-hmm. think is why it's nice to be so transparent with my audience because I kind of have the gamut, you know, yeah. I'm still on Nickelodeon with, you know, different shows and stuff that are rerunning, but I'm a mom. And so I like to be able to speak to all different walks of life and, and make it very approachable. It's not an intimidating, I think being a conscious consumer or even making, you know, the switch to being completely plant-based in all aspects Mm -hmm. of your life doesn't have to be scary. I think it just is an open conversation that's always evolving and Mm-hmm. I like to keep that door open. So I think because I was a vegetarian for about six years, I worked in a deli and the things that I saw were horrible and made me switch over, uh, but I wasn't able to maintain my health. So I went back to eating, you know, meat, but it was also so 
expensive. Like I was a university student when I switched back to eating meat and it just became so much more affordable for me. So how do you find that? Because you talk about accessibility and, you know, dealing with people from all walks of life. But veganism is often seen as something that only the elite can kind of, you know, get and maintain. Yeah, it's a shame. And I I want to rewrite that narrative because it's not fair. I Mm. think we should all have a fair opportunity to have healthy options. And I think we should have a fair opportunity to help make those choices available that are actually good for our planet as a whole. And I think we're changing that as the time goes on. Now, it all really comes back to supply and demand. So the more that consumers start to demand those options, the cheaper we can make it on our end and then make it more accessible for the masses. But I mean, in a lot of ways, there's a, there are things that are kind of out of our control that need to happen on a on a much bigger scale. Like, you know, I think our government needs to step mm-hmm. in and make it a priority in schools in hospitals and places where there are lower income families that may not have, you know, access to fresh produce. I mean, that is like, it's, it's hard to imagine that that is true, but it's incredibly mm-hmm. real. And a lot of families just don't have access to it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, people, I, I was speaking with someone earlier this week and she made the um, example known where you might just be someone who lives near a gas station and you don't have a car and that's your means of getting, you know, your local food. And if they don't have fresh, you know, apples and bananas, or even further than that, you know, fresh greens and things like that, like it's just, it's just not fair. Mm-hmm. So I think bigger than just us as companies, there needs to be a global change and a global awareness. And I think, again, that really stems back to us using our voice to, you know, make sure that it's known how important it is. Yeah. Right. I'm an opinion. I'm sorry. I'm not an opinion. I'm a person whose opinion kind of goes in and out with the breeze. Like I'll watch Okja or a, a Netflix documentary and then I'll, I'll be vegan for like a four month period. And then I'll watch something else on YouTube that kind of debunks something and I'll be, oh, okay, then meat is the good way. With so much information and misinformation, how do you actually know what you're doing is right? Like I'm sure you're raising your son, Gio, right? His, mm-hmm. And you're raising him as vegan. I'm sure you get a lot of pushback there that protein, you need the, pro- or whatever it may be. How do you know what you're doing is actually right when there's so much information out there? You know, I think for me, I've I've been doing this for so long, and I hate to to use this as an example, but for 20 years I've been vegan, and for longer than that I've been vegetarian. I am knock on wood, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, quite healthy. I don't ever, I rarely ever get sick. I've had a beautiful pregnancy. Um, gr- I mean, there's so many things to me that are just living proof. So I sort of run with that. But I know it's not the case for everyone. You know, oftentimes now you hear that celebrities and influencers are going back to eating meat um, and other products that they think they are lacking in their diet. But I think that that's not necessarily the cure. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to be more in tune with our bodies. We need to represent ourselves when we feel like we're we're lacking something. I always say, listen to your body. If you're craving something, there's a need for it. There's a reason for it. Um, you know, there are certain vitamins that people should take to just, I mean, generally speaking, not even just mm-hmm. vegans, you should take a B12 vitamin, you should take a healthy omega, you should take these things just to help your brain and your body function have the proper energy. And that across the board will help in so many ways. But I think so many people think that, oh, but it's my diet, like maybe it's it's because I'm missing things in my diet. In reality, 
animals get all of their nutrients mm-hmm. from plants, yeah. all of them. Really, what we are doing is just taking out that middle step and making mm-hmm. it cleaner and making it more digestible and getting the full effect of the nutrients. So I think, yes, the documentaries can be misleading. The information we have on social media can be misleading, but I lead with my heart. When I see something like Oksha, I mean, that one triggered yeah. me oh tremendously. And I was so grateful that I was on a right track already because I just felt like, okay, at least I'm doing the best that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, my fiance, Andrew, for instance, he watched Game Changers, which really resonated with him. Now, Andrew and I have been together for nine years. Eight of those years, he never even entertained the idea no of going way. plant-based. It was that movie that really hit him. Well, you see all the athletes, yeah. Yeah, something about that, right? Like, and it's just everyone has a different approach and everyone has something that, you know, speaks to them. So just be open and allow yourself to explore the ins and the outs. And as long as you're aware in general, that leaps and bounds ahead of so many. Mm -hmm. What was, you were saying that you had a light bulb moment that kind of started this journey for you. What was that moment? When I was five years old, I went to a dude ranch with my family and they were raising cattle Mm. as livestock and they had, you know, like a little family owned type rodeo, small quaint, but what they did at this rodeo was lassoed, you know, the cows hind legs and front legs Mm. together, flipped them on their backs and then branded them. And everyone was kind of celebrating. It was just something you saw, you know, happen probably often. And this was just something people were entertained by. And I was only five years old. And, you know, kids are inquisitive and I had no problem asking the questions. My dad was very open. And later that night, they served steak in the dining hall and they spoke about how their meat is raised and why, you know, what differentiates them from another, um, you know, farm. And it all just sort of landed hard for me. And I think at that point, maybe I didn't know what vegetarianism was or even Mm -hmm. veganism, but I knew that I didn't want to hurt animals and I didn't want to eat them. Um, And that was my first light bulb. What do you do if, you know, everyone goes through a rebellious phase, Gio turns 14 and he's like, you know what, ma, I'm eating meat. How how do you handle that? It's a good question. I mean, I've already thought about it earlier than that. My job is to make the information known, which what I wish I would have known even earlier than five, Mm -hmm. or I wish my parents would have had an open conversation about where our food come from, comes from. I think that that just in general is an important conversation you should have. We should know that farmers work really hard for our produce. We should know that things just don't fall from the sky and that you know we should take our food mm-hmm. for granted. We should know where our food is coming from. I feel the same about you know animal products. I, sh- I should be able to have that conversation with Geo and it shouldn't be you know like off limits. I think a lot of parents avoid it. And then oftentimes if they find out the truth, then they have to have that come to Jesus moment And it's a lot harder to backpedal out of that conversation than to just be open. My hope is that Gio will make the decision on his own. I'll have the options and not necessarily the options, but I will make eating plant-based very easy. And if he feels that that's not for him, then, you know, of course, I'll I'll still love him wholeheartedly. You can't force someone to be vegan. You know, I learned that in my relationship (laughs) for eight years. Okay, (laughs) But I do know that if you, you know, I guess just stay open and willing to explore and have those conversations that at some point, I I really do genuinely feel that the decision will be made out of the best place, whether it's for your health, right? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of people are vegan for their health. 
right? I, I had an uncle who passed away of cancer and on his last few days of being alive on this planet, they tried to put him on a vegan diet. I remember being 10 years old and going, wait, what? So I think, yes, health is, is a huge reason. I think obviously we have our planet to look out for and animal agriculture is very detrimental in so many ways. I mean, you see all these fires happening so that they could pave way to raise more animals. You know, so much of our land is used up just to grow crops for our animals when there are starving kids and families all across the world that can't even get their hands on a crop. It's just so twisted to me. So there's so many different ways. I think it doesn't necessarily have to come from the place of, yes, we are killing animals and they are suffering for us when we don't necessarily need those means of survival. I think a lot of people approach it from from different places. Now, there's so much uh, animal product and even like candies, stuff I'd never even thought of. Some of my friends are vegan. When your child is like in the future playing at someone else's home out of covid times, are you do you have to give like a talk to other parents like, listen, this is how it is? Or how do you go about that in a way that's not awkward or uncomfortable? No, I think I mean, I think people know me by now. And I will obviously be open about the fact that we are plant based or we're vegan, we don't, you know, eat animal products, or animal byproducts. But a lot of people are and in no way I mean, mm -hmm. this in no way um, offensive, they're just ignorant. Like, yeah. I didn't even know how many animal byproducts are in foods growing up, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, in a bag of Doritos, or, you know, it's just it's so silly, you might see something that you just it's really not necessary, but it's it's a common thing to be hidden in additives. So I wouldn't stress the small stuff. I think just you can't you can't be too crazy about it because it's not sustainable that way. And I want people to I don't want to be that kind of person that makes people feel on edge all the time. You know, mm -hmm. I want this to feel like it's just a lifestyle and that, you know, the bigger picture is that I'm in this for the right reasons. And, you know, I'm open to having those conversations, but in no means like I don't mm -hmm. want to come off threatening or, you know. So did yeah. you, did you, cause I find it so fascinating. So we don't drink cow's milk ourselves, um, but with our daughter, I was having a hard time trying to find a milk that she liked. So we were on pea milk and I did hours and hours of research, but what do you use? What do you use for geo? Okay. So you're going to find this interesting. I, um, so I breastfed for just up until recently mm -hmm. and he weaned himself. He just at one oh, point wow. was like, I'm done. It was really, I was worried about that day coming. <laughs> and one day he just looked at me and was like, I'm good and laughed at me. And I was like, Oh, this is okay. We're good then. We'll move on. That's wild. <laughs> and from that point on, because I never, I never really introduced a, bo a bottle. Mm -hmm. He hadn't had one until, or he hadn't had a bottle since prior to COVID. So for the last like seven months, he and I just, I was home. So mm -hmm. I didn't need to give him a bottle. I wasn't away for work. So when I tried to give him a bottle with either frozen breast milk or oat milk or hemp milk or anything, he just didn't, he wasn't interested. So the, the kid hasn't had any milk since he wow. weaned himself. Once in a while, when um, Andrew's making his coffee, he'll steam some extra oat milk or hemp mm -hmm. milk, and he loves both of them, but we don't make it a part of his daily routine. That's so fascinating. Yeah, I breastfed for about 18 months, and then we were mm -hmm. on pea milk for a while. Now we do whole milk um, because, again, health concerns, but it, it is so interesting because, you know, I think my doctors always go, oh, well, you got to get them back on whole milk, whatever. And I'm just, I'm just happy to because, you know, you're busy and it, it's less thought and that's what your medical professionals are telling you to do. But then you talk to somebody like yourself or watch a documentary that says actually it might not be 
the best option. So did you ever get pushback like from maybe old school family members or friends or whatever? No, I think part of it was because I, I'm super instinctual. So a lot of the things and a lot of choices I make, especially in parenting is just sort of like what feels right in my body. Mm-hmm. And when he weaned himself, of course, I was nervous to not have like a standby option ready that I felt comfortable or that I felt was equivalent to breast milk because there really isn't anything yeah. that exists. And unfortunately, yes, animal milk is probably the closest to, but there are so many things in animal milk that are literally built to create a massive animal that like don't correlate with a human being. Yeah. So I couldn't even really wrap my head around that direction. And when I spoke with my pediatrician, you know, the biggest thing he said to me was, as long as your child's getting a well-balanced meal, and if you feel like they're consuming enough, then you don't have to worry about it at all. It could be just something you implement once in a while, but because it wasn't, the thing was, it, we we got off that routine very quickly. He wasn't mm-hmm. used to having a bottle, so I can't imagine what it would be like to have to replace a bottle. I wish that there was a great option, and I think that we are demanding more of that, mm-hmm. but there certainly isn't you know, a ton available right now. So I, I totally understand. Mm-hmm. Both of your parents are cancer survivors. Now, what is it about eating meat? Like they had to or recommended to go off of meat for that period. What is it about meat that uh, doesn't go with cancer at all? From my understanding, meat is full of hormones. It's full of antibiotics. It's full of things that your body just wants to fight. And when your body's already fighting, it's really hard to add products back into your diet that just create inflammation that it almost as though your body, from what I understand is your body almost like attacks it. And you're already working so hard to fight off the cancer that you want to just give your body exactly the nutrients it needs and take out all of the, the stuff that's unnecessary. And also like, you know, obviously animal products are full of cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Cholesterol is not good for your, your blood pressure. It's not good for a lot of other things that help you function as a whole. I don't know. I, I really don't know the, the real, like, answer for that other than it makes sense to me to know that it just is hard for your body to process. Mm -hmm. And as someone who likes to control what goes in their body and be as healthy and conscious as possible, when you were going into your pregnancy, were you like, oh, I don't want an epidural. I want this to be all natural. Like, was that the game plan going into it? Yeah. So I had actually um, made reservations to work with, well, I I was working with a midwife who owned a natural birthing facility and I was just going to either do a home birth or one in their facility, which would have just been in a bathtub or wherever I felt comfortable giving birth. And one thing led to another. And of course, nothing ever goes to plan. And I was pretty okay with it, to be honest. I'm sure you can understand. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I ended up with an emergency C-section So yeah, it was, it was an interesting turn of events, but I still feel good about my birth story. Like Mm. I still feel like I did everything I could leading up to that Mm. point. There was so much that was out of my control. And at the end of the day, as a mom, you can understand it's like, you just want your healthy baby. Yeah. Well, I was watching your birth story. Like I watched it on your YouTube channel and then I watched it on a, there's a show called the doctors that you were on. Of course, you know that. But their edit they did made it seem like an absolute horror film. There was like all these white flashes and music. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of the most intense things I've ever seen in regards to birth. Do you think it was as bad as that edit made it feel? Like, is that for you? Did it feel like a horror film? 
Okay. So if you ask Andrew, um, he felt like it was the scariest day of his entire <laughs> life and he suffered more, I think, PTSD and even some postpartum issues from our birth. Mm -hmm. I, on the other hand, felt extremely calm throughout the whole thing. I was so elated. Like I remember being in the OR who I literally don't have a doctor to this day. Okay. Like I'm not <laughs> someone who is good with shots. I'm not good with taking medicine. I've never even taken Tylenol. Like I'm, wow. I just, it's not my world. So for me to be in an OR and just so excited and so happy, the baby came, he latched. I was like, it felt like the most magical moment of my entire life. So my perception, maybe it was the hormones, maybe it was the drugs. <laughs> I don't know. It was great. Right. <laughs> no. And, and just to give backstory, though, so mm -hmm. you you got in like a mild car accident before, right before you were supposed to deliver. That might have caused stress to the baby. The baby was, for lack of a better term, pooping in the womb. Yeah. Yeah, and then you, you had to have kind of an emergency C-section. That was your birth. Yes. Right. Yeah. So my midwife advised that I take a bunch of castor oil, which I guess is a more That's homeopathic intense. or more natural remedy for yeah increasing your your labor. So I was chugging it, girlfriend. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. Wait. 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 We need to go back because I have read crazy things about castor oil. Like women will be recommending on message boards, and other women are like, "No, don't do it." Like, is it called castor oil? Castor. Castor. Oil. Okay. Castor. What? Sorry. Gotcha. Yeah. Castor. So you because uh, I thought the castor oil is for your car. Okay. Sorry. Continue. No, Honestly, but... it might as well be. I feel like they can go hand in hand. This is this is wild to me that you use that. So tons. Okay, like I was chugging it and nothing was happening. And I remember it was supposed I was supposed to go into labor, like extreme labor within two to four hours was yeah. what my midwife said. Um, and nothing happened. I just felt the minor cr cramping like period cramps. So I was like, Oh, this isn't good. And on top of that, I wasn't feeling much movement, which yeah. is when the red flag hit. Mm -hmm. She was like, Okay, you need to get to the hospital. Yeah. So th then once I got to the hospital, they're like, if you don't go into labor now, like right now, we have to induce you. Right. And I was like, no, I think, I think something's coming. Long story short, it was like zero to 300 and within minutes. Oh and I God. was in these extreme and I didn't have an epidural at the time. Cause I just, I, that wasn't something I thought much about mm. before. And I, I mean, you know, it's like a pain I can't yeah. Of course. But I can't remember it now. Right. <laughs> and that's the best thing. And you know, it's funny because I always told myself that because I had a really I had a really rough pregnancy and my birth was so fast that you know, I kind of recovered from the shock of it because I gave birth the second time. I was only in active labor for an hour and I pushed the baby out in five minutes. So it was so easy in a sense. And I, I always tell myself that I want to remember exactly the tough things that happened so I can tell other friends because you do so much prep. And like you said that you were doing so much prep, you had, you know, a way, a birth plan, things that you wanted to, to happen. And then it all goes out the window once you're actually there doing it. And I find that nobody actually tells you or, you know, tells you to prep for postpartum. And not just the women, but husbands. And you said your husband suffered a little bit postpartum. And that is so a thing. Shane and I were just speaking to a specialist who talked about husbands suffering postpartum. And like, did you guys know that that was something that could happen? And how did how did you deal with that? Because that's even tough to like self-diagnose. I don't think we even knew that we were going through it until we weren't so much in it. Mm. You know, like I'd say it took us at least six months to like really see the light yeah. <laughs> because there's so many changes. Um, 
initially right off the bat, but then you have so many changes within just raising this human, you know, getting them to sleep, getting them to make, to, to learn how to feed, to feed enough. Um, you know, then of course, at some point you start implementing more of your own life back into your routine. Mm. You know, I mean, even as simply as going to the bathroom becomes something you almost need to pencil in. It's insane how quickly mm. the rug just gets ripped below you. Um, and it is unfortunate that people don't talk about it. And that's something that I've done a lot of because I can now say, wow, what a ride. Mm-hmm. But when I was in it, it was almost so heavy and, and scary. And I remember getting night terrors. Like as soon as it started to get dark, I knew, oh my goodness, I'm never, I'm not going to sleep. Tonight. I had an awful sleeper for at least like five months. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we slept, I slept, trained him and it took a while to catch. And now of course he's, I mean, it's funny. It's like <laughs> the basics, right? As yeah. long as they eat enough and they get enough sleep, life becomes good again. So much easier. <laughs> so much easier. Yeah. So much easier. But for the first six months, there's a lot of change and mm-hmm. you really have to be gentle with yourself and you have to be, and I've learned this now with friends of mine who've had babies. It's like, know what to say, know how to help them. You know, when you're a new mom, yeah. there's really not much you can do for you, that baby, right? Mm-hmm. That mom needs to bond, that needs, that mom needs to feel in control, that mom needs to like find their way, but take care of everything else, mm-hmm. you Absolutely. know, you Absolutely. know, make the house feel less disorganized, like you know, make them whatever food. It's mm-hmm. just, it's so interesting. It feels like a time warp. Oh, 100%. Sorry, Daniela, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that we are supported by Seedlip, the world's first non-alcoholic spirit. Seedlip is crafted without sugar, calories, or alcohol and solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking. And don't skip this ad because there is finally a promo code that exists. We are so excited to get that to you. But first, Seedlip is crafted using a bespoke process that involves a traditional copper distillation of botanicals. So each of Seedlip's three variants, you have Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42 offer something for every type of drinker. And if you are a type of drinker not to even give something like this a try because it's non-alcoholic, I say give it a try because I was that type and now I'm hooked. It's so good and waking up without a hangover is the best feeling in the world. And I recently for Thanksgiving went back on, I, I drank some booze and you know what? Regretting it a little bit. There you go. You know what? To be honest, I am too. We- well, no, no S. You had a terrible drive. <laughs> oh, Jane, let's not talk about it. But Seedlip pairs perfectly with a splash of tonic. Or if you want to get a little fancier, like Shane and I like to do most of the time, you can check out the Seedlip cocktail book for more ways to enjoy it. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off. You can also follow at seedlip underscore NA on Instagram for more ways to enjoy. Again, that is seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off. But we are also supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs make the world's coziest, softest, most comfortable nursing bras that you will find in stores. They were one of the first products you've recognized Mm -hmm. as something we had to go out of our way to contact oh 100 like i love bravado i want them to sponsor us forever because honestly i really do stand by them and not only do they have the nursing bras which i've been raving about for a couple years but they have the new everyday collection which has no clips but the same comfort for your boobs and again they're not for nursing mothers they're for any person with breasts So you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection as well as the nursing bras at ca.bravadodesigns.com. 
But regardless of which site you use, use the promo code ThisFamilyTree20 to get 20% off. But let's get back to our interview with Daniela Monet. Now, you and your husband, you share pretty much everything. And it seems like it's a you have a huge following and it's a huge resource for a lot of people who are mm-hmm. going into things like pregnancy and whatnot. But is there ever a point where you think, oh, like, oh, I'm sharing too much? Or is there anything that's off limits in terms of your personal life? You know, I feel like we've blurred that line more recently. Um, so Andrew left his world of being in business. And so now he's a full-time entrepreneur and we have a podcast together, adulting like a mother father. And on that specific platform is where I feel like there's really no bound Mm -hmm. and it's an interesting concept. And I'm sure you understand because you forget that there are ears Mm -hmm. out there because it's just you two in a room with, you know, these convenient mics. So in a weird way, I find that that's very therapeutic and I'm grateful to be that voice for other people, Mm -hmm. but it's also just in a weird way benefited us and and we're open to sharing. And I think it's important to share, you know, oftentimes you see so many influencers really, you know, hone in on what's beautiful in their life, but not Mm -hmm. enough like real. And Mm -hmm. we may not always be, you know, in a slump, but it, but it happens. And I like being transparent. Because as soon as you come out of it, you can learn from it and you can share what you learned. And mm-hmm. I learned so much from other people being transparent. And so I hope that, you know, we mm-hmm. do the same. What was it like once he left his job and made it a full-time business? For example, I work with uh, my wife here, mm-hmm. Alex, uh, but beforehand she drove me up the wall sometimes. But now that we're in business together, it's like there's a lot more conflict yeah. and discussions about work ethic and who's doing what. Like what what changed for you? Oh, gosh, everything. <laughs> I mean, I would go nine, ten hours a day without seeing him. And then he'd come home and it would be dinner and reality TV time. Yeah. And that's it. Now, you know, there is a lot of good. Like we have a schedule between us. I couldn't I honestly can't imagine being a full-time entrepreneur and a mom at the same time Mm -hmm. without having his support. And I think vice versa, but being together all day, every day, especially with the pandemic has been a challenge Mm -hmm. doing a podcast. I know it sounds simple because really what it would weird. You just sit next to your partner and you chat it out for an hour. It's not, I I almost 80% of the time, right before we're about to record, one of us picks a fight. It makes no sense. (laughs) Every time we do, right before we talk to you, we're arguing about something. Just like, why didn't you do that? (laughs) Like microphones. It's awful. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. And every time we go into it thinking in our own heads, like, oh, it's not going to happen this time. We're on a good, like, I got Mm -hmm. my coffee. Things are good. Gio's sleeping. This is great something happens. It could be as simple so as like, oh, you didn't put batteries in, you know, the little like mic thingy and then mm-hmm. like all hell breaks loose. And it's just so frustrating. But what's nice about it is, you know, an hour later, something happens where it's like, okay, I'm glad we flushed all that out because we would never necessarily carve out this time to chat otherwise. Mm-hmm. So no. yeah. Podcasting with your spouse is so therapeutic and that's what shane and i fight fine it's everything yeah it's you know it's everything (laughs) it's it's prior to talking it's infuriating and then it becomes so therapeutic and then you only hope that people on the other end can kind of you know take something from it Mm -hmm. but well i was looking up like you were obviously like you were a a big star very young have been very successful but you also maintain this intense drive throughout your life and i was reading or alex told me actually (laughs) that it's from your your childhood 
uh, of having it a little bit tougher than most, maybe. Now that you're in such a, a and I might be speaking out of turn. I'm sorry if I am. No, no, no. I mean, I would love to touch on that. I, mm-hmm. I don't, th- I don't, wouldn't say that I have the most challenging upbringing, but I was super independent because I felt like most families, a little bit of instability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, finances were always a really sticky, scary topic that came up. And our parent, my parents often fought about it. I never saw like, a relationship that I necessarily wanted to emulate in any way. So mm-hmm. I struggled and I, I craved independence. So at a young age, I was on a mission to move out. I just needed to be on my own. And so I did, and it didn't come easy. You know, yes, I was a working actor, but I had to learn how to budget, budget at a very young age. And I had to learn how to make money with my money because living on your own um, is so expensive. And, um, you know, I, I took on all my own responsibilities on my finances, you know, everything from a car to eventually like having rent for a while. I kind of not necessarily lived out of my car, but stayed at various friends and families' houses before I could actually, um, figure it out for myself. But it's just acting's very inconsistent. Mm -hmm. And I felt like my childhood felt very inconsistent. So when I decided to, you know, care more about making money and making it more consistent is when I really like strapped on the boots and was like, okay, as much as I love what I do, and that's going to be my passion forever. I need to find something that feels fulfilling, but also, you know, helps me live comfortably because I want to be able to grow up comfortably and give a family a comfortable upbringing. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it sounds weird to say, but sometimes having a a tough uh, life early on or rougher than maybe a silver spoon and born on a satin pillow, like maybe like Alex here, but, uh, I'm kidding, of course. But, um, <laughs> uh, how do you avoid that with your own kids who are probably going to be born in a much more privileged position than you were? So, I mean, that's just like, and I totally love that you asked that because it's a huge concern for me. Um, Andrew and I care a lot about, he, he did not come from much at all. I mean, he's had his own rough go. And I feel like it's important that we never live beyond our means Mm -hmm. and that we only, not necessarily that we only have what we need, but we don't like for Gio, we have hand-me-down toys. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so rare that we buy him a toy for himself. You know, we just want to instill those values of work. You know, you work for what you you have, what you want. Um, It takes earning. It takes Um, And you don't need very much to be happy. You know, experiences are important to us. Um, I don't need like the big grand house. If we eventually move into a bigger home, like it would be for all the right reasons. And it wouldn't be, you know, to keep up with the Joneses. And I think just talking about that and instilling those values earlier, super, super important Mm -hmm. to me because don't want to always have to be chasing something. And I don't want my kid to always think that he has to be chasing something that like we can be happy with a simple life. And it's important to have, you know, the means to live comfortably. I think there's Mm -hmm. such a difference, you know? So, you know, you do so many things and you are so driven. You're a hard worker. It seems like you've honed your own talents um, a lot of the way, like from when you were young until now. How, how did you get those qualities instilled with in like in you? Like, was that you yourself making it on your own? Or was that something that you learned from people in your family or those around you? My parents are incredibly driven, mm-hmm. incredibly driven. Um, my dad is just like a natural born sales guy. And he's always sort of found his way and figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, I mean, incredible entrepreneur. She's always made it work. I mean, 
neither one of them are probably where they saw themselves or where they'd love to be financially, but they work really hard and they never give up. And that's what I saw growing up. It was all I knew, you know, no one had a nine to five for the most part, everyone really hustled. And so I learned to hustle (laughs) at a young age. Like, like, like how young are you hustling? Like, are you like selling dice oh, in God. the schoolyard, trading <laughs> selling lunches, dice. So, roll dice, rolling get, dice, yeah. selling, selling lunches, trading pretty up. embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was doing everything. Like, I don't know why and how, when I think back, I'm like, Oh my God, if my kid did this, I would be mortified, but I would save my money. I would buy chocolate bars at smart and final. I would go door to door and sell chocolate bars. Okay. That's amazing. Um, I would, I mean, the classic like lemonade stands, I took it to the next level. I would sew clothes from like old pillowcases. I would sell anything. I would always offer to host people's garage sales. Like anyone in my family, if they had old stuff, I said, I will come to your house. I will literally host your garage sale. Just break me off a piece. It was, I don't know. I just was always trying to make it. Um, but in a weird, yeah, it was cool. What were you spending this money on? Like you're a kid, you're walking around with wads of cash. Are you saving it? Are you spending it? Are you buying vegan foods? Yeah. Two things. I was a big saver, Mm -hmm. huge saver. I had a bank account elementary school. I remember they did some sort of presentation where someone came in and talked about like checkbooks and things like that and talked about opening a bank account. Mm -hmm. It was probably sponsored by like Wells Fargo. (laughs) Long story short, I opened a bank account in elementary school and I was obsessed obsessed with saving. Mm-hmm. I remember having like, I don't even maybe like a thousand dollars or some crazy number Whoa. for me in like fifth grade. Um, and then I just got, you know, you become like addicted to that feeling. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, when I decided to go vegan, it was expensive. It was so expensive. And I, I offered to pay for everything. So my mom gave me like a shelf in our pantry and a shelf in our refrigerator. And I would go to the store, Follow Your Heart, which is now pretty infamous. Um, I live not too far from there. And I would go and I would spend like a hundred bucks on stuff just for myself. And at that time, you know, you're like 12, 13 years old. That's a lot of money. But I was proud to do it. And I think that's the feeling that I've always had is like this sense of pride that I could take Mm -hmm. care of myself and then eventually take care of others. And that's really driven me. Now, I have two daughters. As a father of two girls, I'm always concerned about uh, body image, body confidence. We talk about it a lot on the podcast. Now, you being in the business, how did that affect your view of how you looked? Were people trying to influence you to lose weight or was it an outside influence at, at all? Like I know you've you've discussed having eating disorder and whatnot. I just wanted to speak on that a little bit. Yeah, um, I think that was my way of controlling something at the mm-hmm. time. I think Um, When I developed an eating disorder, it was um, when I had my very first TV show as a network show, there was a lot of pressure. I was really the only kid on the show. Um, And my parents at the same time were going through marital issues, and then they were both diagnosed with cancer. And I don't think that I really put it together at that point, you know, but I do think that that played a role in feeling like I needed to take inventory and and Mm. control things about my life because I was feeling very out of control. I had no social life. I was out of school, managing my own school, my own grades on my own. And then, of course, very much playing in an adult world, Mm -hmm. traveling, presenting at the Carnegie Hall in New York, like wearing these like gowns that like I was borrowing from my cousins because like I didn't know how to keep up with like life at the time. And it was just a lot. Obviously, yes, like 
you, you have these pressures in the industry of wanting to look a certain way. And, you know, you'll hear the things like, oh, you gained 10 pounds on TV or whatever. It took me probably two years, I'd say a, a good healthy two years to strip that away. And then I kind of went to like the other end where I was like, I'm going to be as, as healthy as I want. I'm going to eat whatever I want. No one's going to tell me what to do. I stopped seeing a gastro doctor because they thought that it had to do, I thought they thought I was losing weight because um, I'm sure I manipulated them into thinking that I was losing weight because I had gastrointestinal pro- right. problems. But the real reason was that I was controlling what I was eating. I was binging. And then I, on top of that, was seeing a doctor who prescribed me Zelnorm, Miralax, um, Senecol, all kinds of laxatives over the counter. And basically nothing was sticking in my body. So my, my colon itself became floppy and didn't know how to process food. And mm-hmm. so then I had all kinds of other health issues. Oh and I, when I went away from all of it and I like really gathered myself again, I learned to love my body and mm-hmm. I learned to love everything about myself. And I learned to like really find my voice in a world where so many people want to project what they think is important on you. I had a manager at the time who said that I was gaining too much weight. Wow. Like Jesus. all of a sudden I was too big. And bye. <laughs> like I, at that point I was too healthy minded yeah. to like take that kind of stuff at the time. So being a girl is hard. And I think in a weird way, if you go through that stint, no one wants to, but it's, it makes you a really strong person on the other end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all struggle with body image at one point or another. Um, I really hope no one takes it to that extreme, but I think eventually it really helps us find our way yeah. and harness mm-hmm. who we are. No, I, I, I think it's, if to me, it's so scary. Like, um, I've, I'm a teacher and I've taught girls who don't even realize that they're bulimic. Like they throw up after every meal. They don't know that it's an eating disorder because they do it. Their friends do it. And they just think it's something cool you can do to help you maintain a weight. So I've had to have so many different, like difficult conversations with teenagers. And it's, it's so sad the pressures that they face and these are girls who aren't even in in Hollywood you know aren't acting but having a son because boys also do experience body image issues and maybe it's you got to be toned you got to be muscular but not in that way you got to be muscular in this way and do you think about any of that with Gio's development or does that thing does that not really cross your mind because he's a boy no, of course it does. I mean, I, I know that men care about their body and I think humans, we all care. Mm. Um, you know, so much of like marketing is, is always targeting us to lose weight, gain weight, be fit, be this, you know what I mean? It's, it's a lot, it's a lot. And yeah. there is so much more social media now than ever. Um, so I feel for your students because I didn't necessarily grow up with that social media where I literally yeah. saw examples of what is beautiful in front mm-hmm. of me on a daily basis second, you know, not even a daily basis, mm-hmm. literally scroll by scroll. Um, for Gio's sake, you know, I, I leave, I leave with love when, when it comes to food, I am a big foodie and food is always available, readily available. And I don't ever put like limits on it. I want him to love food. I don't want it to control him. I want him to look at it as a source of nutrients, energy, um, you know, life, um, happiness, all the things. I want it to have an, a positive connotation. So that way outside of food, like, yes, parts of our life and making it balanced is about mm-hmm. being outside, being physical, like getting your adrenaline going, getting those healthy endorphins, all of that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like Andrew and I are pretty good examples of that lifestyle. Yeah. And I hope that he just sees it enough that like he wouldn't have 
an issue. Yeah. So I, I can't let go in my mind. I just keep thinking about it since you said it. The doctor that was prescribing you all these drugs, like first, how old were you? And was that is that common for young people? Because I'm imagining like you're still young. I'm imagining that this is very common. But yeah, how old were you when that happened? I was about 14 years old. Now, there is some truth to the story. I did see a doctor because I was having some, I guess, IBS issues. Mm. But in hindsight, I was in a stressful time in my life. I didn't know that it was as stressful as it was. And my body was just stressed. And stress is a really scary thing. It can can show up in so many different ways. And that was my way. I harness a lot of my stress in my stomach. Mm -hmm. So I saw a doctor for that reason. And, you know, I, I still to this day wonder why and how that even happened and how she saw me go from a very healthy weight to a very, very, very unhealthy weight within like months time. And no one did anything or said anything. But I think in a weird way, I was on the cusp of trying to have control over my body image. And that was a really easy catalyst for speeding it up. Um, You know, Zelnorm at some point after that became illegal and people had died of it because there was it was something like a cocaine or a speed in it um, that revved up people's metabolism to the point where it was just and I was I mean, I was on a show I was working really hard long hours. And then of course, doing schoolwork, Mm -hmm. we had to commute there. Um, Long story short, I mean, I was on one, like I was feeling the high (laughs) and I didn't know any better. I thought I was just excited on life. So it was a really dangerous time. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but yeah, that is so like it's so scary. And obviously, you have so many amazing things that have happened because you had a career in Hollywood and with Nickelodeon and everything. And you know, so you can chase your passions now because of that. But then you like that's pretty terrifying. Like you've been through some scary times because of it too. So like, do you think that, you know, being on TV, Hollywood, do you think that's a good place for kids to grow up? Like if Gio ever wanted to get involved, would you kind of hold him back from it or say, yeah, go for it? No, I mean, I think I'd be good if Gio did just yeah. about anything else. I don't necessarily think that it's all bad. I think that it really plays a role, like where, what kind of mentality your child has and if they're strong enough to say no to certain things or not put so much, um, value on themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that was something I had to learn. I I used to think that I wasn't worthy of anything if I wasn't working or if I didn't have this much money or I wasn't making this much money. Um, It's just a, it's a mind trip because no kid is real. That's not a normal conversation to have Mm -hmm. internally. So I wouldn't necessarily want that for a geo. Of course I'm here to support him, but I think there's so many other avenues where we can express ourselves. And the the real basis of why I am in acting and why I've always chosen the very same roles, family friendly comedy, you know, lighthearted things to bring levity to your life is because I enjoy doing that. That makes me feel happy. And I know Mm -hmm. that it translates hopefully to someone else feeling happy. Um, so I think other people can find that avenue mm-hmm. in other places, you know, musical theater, creating your own projects. Now we have so many platforms where we can like express ourselves. I, I think the industry needs a real shakeup. Yeah. Well, in the, in the past, it felt like, oh, it was easy to avoid the entertainment industry. You mm-hmm. just don't go into it. Now with social media, in, in some ways, we're all in the entertainment industry all the time. And we're all a, a certain level of fame. W- what do you do when it comes to want, when he wants a cell phone or how do you control social media, if at all? 
That's a great question. You guys can probably tell me more. <laughs> um, I think just limit, know. you know, having that conversation of like limiting the time that you spend on a screen, you mm-hmm. know, I think there are so many things. And in a lot of ways, I really feel like our whole generation is going to go through a regression. Too much is too accessible. There are literally TVs in every single room. You've got laptops, iPads, phones, like at some point or another, they're going to lose their luster. And that's my hope, right? Mm-hmm. Like even myself, I can feel that like, I was literally just looking at photo albums and I'm like, damn, like I miss like actual photo albums. It's like, the best. Yes. Like we need more of those like old school traditions to, mm-hmm. to keep us grounded, to find like, you know, some realness because everything is happening so quick with things being so easily accessible. I think that we're all going to start to crave more time to yeah. really like reflect and remember what's important. Danielle, how do you stay grounded because you are massively successful you're involved with so many things so how do you kind of just bring yourself back down and like do you ever lose sight of what your true goals and purpose is yes and no I I I keep my family fairly close so I'm very lucky that I have you know I have a big Italian family and everyone's really supportive and um, I think it's important to have people by you that have no bad intentions or no, you know, the thing about the industry is it's full of opportunists. And there are Mm -hmm. a lot of people that even from the best place of their heart, they're all trying to make it in some way or another. And if they can leverage your success or collaborate, and there's so much of these words being thrown out, it's really nice to strip that away and Mm -hmm. just go hang out on the couch and watch, you know, whatever Bravo and eat a bowl of spaghetti. Like I need those moments. I crave those moments. And then I feel like also that puts things in perspective for me. I want to be this ethical entrepreneur because that literally feels purposeful. So if you can remind yourself what is actually giving me purpose, what is making me feel whole and making me feel like I'm, I'm doing something bigger than myself, that helps me stay small. <laughs> right. Well, you're friends with Ariana Grande, or you were very close to her at one point. I'm not sure uh, right now. I was going to ask, when somebody's that level of fame like Ariana, is it impossible to maintain a, a friendship because they're just so, like, I don't know, off in their own world, for lack of a better term? Yeah, I mean, the honest truth is that she lives a very different life than I do. Um, she is incredibly popular, and I cannot even begin to imagine what pressures that comes with. Um, I know that she is really good at managing it. You know, she has a good support system around her, her mom. I mean, people around her really do love her and help keep her grounded. I, I lose touch with her here and there just because both of our lives are so busy in so different ways. I'm like literally changing <laughs> diapers and trying to get a nap schedule down. Yeah. She's like <laughs> traveling the world and recording in the studio for 12 hours. But yeah, it's it's wild to watch someone have that much fame. And with that comes a lot of impact. So mm-hmm. I know that she cares about doing good as well. And, you know, you always just hope that with anyone who has a lot of recognition and trust from their followers that they use it wisely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, unless you have another question, I just want yeah, to. Well, yeah, well, I, I want to know. So what's on the horizon? Like, because I know that you're involved with so many projects right now. And if we could, you know tell us and tell the listeners what they can look forward to on your end. Well, I'm very excited because when I was pregnant with Gio, I'm sure, again, you guys had this conversation. I was trying to figure out, you know, what the best diapers were for Gio. And I remember thinking, 
how is there not a diaper out there that is eco-friendly, that works like a charm, that's soft and comfy, that, you know, wears well, but isn't hurting our environment or planet mm-hmm. or animals? Like that to me was so important. And I just felt like there was a lot of confusion. The market's so cut to over a year later. I am going to be launching my first baby diaper line called what? Sprouted. And I hope it's it's the beginning of a really beautiful line that will be in a lot of families' homes. But that's my main focus now. I think Growing Kinder Beauty, which is my beauty subscription box, it's 100% mm-hmm. vegan, cruelty-free, and clean, is something that I'm doing every single day. But it's off and running, so that's great. And, you know, I'm always open to new experiences. I love doing adulting like a mother-father with um, with Andrew. I think that we have a great following. I, I love reading people's DMs. I mean, I'm sure you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's fun. great to just be in a space. This community of families and parents mm-hmm. is like so real. Yeah. And um, I just want to be involved and I want to be helpful and insightful and provide tools and products that do what they're supposed to do without compromising anyone's ethics. Mm-hmm. How long does it take to develop the, the diaper you're, you're talking mm-hmm. about? It's gnarly. So we <laughs> we started so long ago. And then, of course, COVID happened. And so many of the materials that go into using a diaper were so in such demand for mm-hmm. masks. So one thing that was so important to me was transparency in, in the workplace and mm-hmm. making sure that our manufacturer was open with where their their material, materials were sourced. And if we can trace it all the way back to the farmers, like, are they getting you know, proper, fair work conditions. And so it took so long to figure all of those details out and not compromise our the function of the diaper. Mm-hmm. And here we are. So yeah, over a year and a half. Wow. That's amazing. I, I got to say, I love hearing that, you know, you're tracing the origins of your diapers to the farmers, mm-hmm. because if they're, you know, plant-based or whatever, like you forget that diapers would start there. Like that's insane to hear. And it's so good to hear. We love sustainable companies. Uh, and that's just so good to hear. And I'm sure so many people in your following are going to be happy about that. But does this mean that you're going to have like maybe more baby products down the line? Like, is that your goal or do you want to just stick to diapers? I would love to. I want to be super selective because I, I think as a parent, less is more. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being a new parent and feeling overwhelmed by like just all the things I got from my baby shower and thinking, am I really going to need all this? And the real answer for me personally was no, Never. you don't. No. I mean, I wish that someone would have just said, hey, just bring some diapers and some wipes or, you know, like get her like a good swaddle, you know, something it, like things like that that mean yeah. the most. And, that, and for instance, I didn't know Gio was going to have eczema, which is quite common in, mm-hmm. in young babies. It's like if someone could have recommended the perfect, you know, skincare, that would have been great. Yeah. But all the excess, I want to strip away. You know what I mean? We don't yeah. need that kind of waste in our planet. Let's get to like what's most important, what we need, simplify things, make parenting, especially in the beginning, a little bit more effortless and mm-hmm. run with it. No, mm, It's hard to argue against that. Yeah. No, absolutely. And Daniela, where can where can people find you and find your projects online? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you could always just follow me on Instagram at Daniela Monet. Um, you could go to Kinder Beauty Box, which is on Instagram, um, Adulting Like a Mother Father, which is Adulting Like AMF on Instagram. And then at Sprouted is our, our new Instagram handle that I'll be probably dropping about the same time that this comes out. Awesome. Amazing. Cannot wait. But thank you so much for sitting down with us today. I've had a really great time and wish you the best of luck with Sprouted. 
Thank you. Oh my gosh, same. You guys, you guys are the best, and, and thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you All so right. much. Take care. Thank right? you so much. You have a great day. You too. Bye. See you guys. There you have it, Daniela Monet. She was so sweet. Everything. Like I just, I'm a fan, and I haven't even seen any of her Nickelodeon shows. I know, but she's a little bit of a conflict with this diaper line coming up. This organic diaper. I, I don't know if Hello Bello is going to be liking this. <laughs> It is so exciting, and I'm excited for her to be getting into that business venue, too. It's pretty neat. But I want to talk to her more even. I could have gone on forever just asking her my own questions about, you know, raising a kid as a vegan and that whole lifestyle. Because that's that's wild. I'm sure you just get so many questions and a lot of maybe hate from people for doing that kind of thing. Well, you can get hate, I think, raising a kid as a carnivore. It's just you don't because it's so rare. Mm -hmm. Well, it was interesting. Medium rare. (laughs) Meat eater. You're making me hungry. But she announced a few days after this interview that she was pregnant. So she is expecting another child. I knew something was up. (laughs) Yeah, so congrats to Daniela and your family. That was actually going to be my first question. What, are you pregnant? Yes. Why? As a a joke, I'm saying, telling you that. (laughs) But let's get to our favorite part of the show, and this is where we answer listener questions. And Alex has put in a lot of effort to research and actually have the answers to these questions. So let's hit it up. The ones that are researchable. The first one is not. The first one is, what do you appreciate most about each other? And I have to say, like, you know, we talk like mushy stuff a lot. But Shane's grind, I I so appreciate. And uh, maybe you need to hold back on the grind as we talked about in the intro. But I think that your grind and your willingness to find ways to do everything and it's awesome it's awesome it's inspirational and you set the family up so well because of it yeah see i wish i wish there was something more about my personality oh shane there's so much about your personality that's why that's why i said like i talk gushy about your personality all the time like i'm if people want to hear it like on the floor laughing for 80 percent of the day because you are so funny in everyday life and i question those percentages 80% 80% <laughs> of this podcast right? but uh, yeah and, and so loving and you are never afraid of like being not touchy-feely in public but loving and showing your love and you know showing your tenderness to me whether we're at home alone or whether we're in public or whether we are like with my parents like it's just it's always the same and you're always so loving and I, I appreciate that big time oh your bar is pretty low. I just have to be loving him. No, like that's a lot. Is it? I think. I I don't think that's a low bar. I think to have somebody who's always willing to be holding your hand, playing with your hair, giving you kisses, telling you you look great, whatever it is, in front of your in-laws when it's just you and I. Like that's that's so important. And we were talking earlier about you know introducing manners again and getting into that dating thing. But I think that we have, and you exhibit qualities of somebody who is newly dating somebody all the time with me. And I I appreciate that like crazy. And that's, Mm. you know, maybe just... You know, maybe I'm better than I think. I've been too hard on myself. I I think on this pod... Shane, you are hard on yourself, though, in everyday life. Like, pod aside, Mm. you stress yourself out more than anything else. And you do get too hard on yourself. Yeah. You need to give yourself a little grace. Yeah, and what I like about you is, and appreciate you, how you are very calming 
And sometimes, <laughs> it's funny, the times I need you to be calm with me, like because you are so calming in day-to-day life, I'll, I'll, I'll sometimes tell myself, Shane, before bed, ask her your biggest fear and Alex is going to put your mind at ease. <laughs> so uh, one of my biggest fears is just financial security. It's something I've always been very concerned about. So... I was like talking to Alex one night and I was like, what would happen, you know, it's COVID times if I just lost my job and your face went completely white. You're like, oh no, like you acted like I was going to lose it. You're like, well, yeah, what would we have to do? We'd have to do that. And, and I was like, oh, Alex, no, I'm, I, I'm bringing this up just because it's like an irrational fear and I want you to calm me down. And I was just up for like three extra hours that night. Like, wow. If something catastrophic happened to our financial well-being, wow, Alex really wouldn't handle this well. No, and that's okay. You asked me in the middle of the night. I felt like it, it was in the middle. It, I wasn't like waking shame. you. Up. No, it was like midnight. But I felt like it was like imminent, and something was happening. And I felt like you almost wanted me to react like that. And no. I, so I didn't know because here's the thing. Honestly, I wouldn't be worried because I know we'd be able to figure something out and we'd be fine in the meantime. And like, I know we're fine. We've talked about things like this before. So it's not even like the, it's the first time that the conversation was broached. But that was like a what you appreciate. That was like an underhanded negative no, no, thing, no, no, you no. dink. What I realized about us is we worry about the completely opposite things. I worry about all the little things. Mm-hmm. And you worry about the big things. So when the big problems happen, I'm pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And when the little things happen, you're pretty calm. Mm-hmm. So that's good because in a day-to-day life, like in your entire life, you might have eight catastrophic things happen. Right. And, you know, these are unexpected deaths or expected deaths because, you know, odds are we're going to lose a parent or uh, we're a, a loss of job or something. Right. Any any loss that really affects your life. And you don't respond well to those. No. But little problems, that's a daily thing. You're, you're being inundated every day with 20 to 80 little annoying problems and you handle those great. Right. And that's why you're very valuable to be around during those times, right? And that's what I appreciate. What else? I I ended up giving you like three things or four things. Give me one more thing. Well, that's a big thing. Being able to to handle little problems is huge. I appreciate that. But I mean. What else is good? You asked for more and I gave more. Okay. Well, now you're asking and I'll give more. You have a nice smile. You're smiling. and, And you might think, oh, that's a little thing. That's important, and smiles are contagious. And if someone's always smiling, you might want to smile more. Well, then why aren't you smiling more, babe? A little stressed out right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, what else we got here? Okay, you you are very smart. I like that. Smart, smart, educated woman who knows things about geography and things I'm not good at. Sometimes I'll be like. What is that? And you'll be like, that is a continent. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> All right, we, we can end it on that high note. Okay. I like that. So next question. Are kids scarred for life if they walk in on you having sex? So basically, are your kids scarred for life if they see you as the parents having sex? I did some research because I was like, hmm, like maybe. Like what do you think? What would be your initial reaction? Do you think kids could actually be ruined for life by having seeing their parents? Well, ruined is a vague term, but I think regardless, it could have an impact. It could create 
a perverse after effect or some sort of uh, not fetish, but some sort of interest in taboo pornography, maybe? No, 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 no. And that's, I, I think, a fear by a lot of parents when something like this happens, but it's not. And your kid isn't going to get into like BDSM because they have how, how seen do they you come to these sex. conclusions though? Well, I'm sure that psychologists <laughs> <laughs> discuss these things with people. But so what <laughs> I want, I I was researching this all day today, and it it's not going to screw up your kids. And the thing I is, I question that research though. But Shane, it's not like so. It's like, hey, how many of you have uh, seen your parents have sex? Come into this room, please. <laughs> You into BDSM or uh, okay. any, you into incest porn? Well, it's like, who's going to say yes? Myself, my friends, we have walked in on our parents before and everybody's got, you know, you don't pretty know normal. How do you know that? No, my friends are pretty open with what they share. But they might be seemingly open with what they share. Because if it's weird or embarrassing, they might not want to admit it to you. No, when we were young, we would admit everything to each other. Seemingly. No, here's the thing, Shane. It's not. People smarter than both of us have done the research, and I'm here to calm the minds of parents who have the same thinking as you because it's wrong. In fact, you know, the act of actually seeing the parents engage in a sexual act is going to have less of an impact than how the parents go about handling it after. Okay, so if your kid walks in, and it's like, whoa, 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 and you, you're all naked and you're trying to push the covers and you're like, get out of here, whoa, we were wrestling. It's like that kind of thing. And if you bring in shame and embarrassment to it, that is going to, that is going to be what screws up the kid. So there is a psychologist I got all this information from, first of all, a psychologist named Hannah McDonough and Deborah Rothman. And lastly, Dr. Jay Hecker, who is a pediatric and adolescent medicine doctor thing. So they say just to, if your kid walks in on you, to remain calm. You know, if you're naked, just calmly pull the covers up, do something like that, and then just ask your kid, especially if they're younger, because they might not know what they've just seen. So just kind of say, hey, like, can I get you something? And see what they have to say. Are they scared? Is that why they came in your room? Like, did they hear something weird and they're coming to see what happened? And just handle the situation and mitigate it and if you keep yourself calm, <laughs> your kid, because you're going to be embarrassed, right? Yeah. But if you keep yourself calm, then your kid is going to be calm. <laughs> and the one thing that I thought was great, but it's only as weird as you make it. And if you don't make it weird, it's not going to be weird because your kid's not going to know better depending on how old they are. And if they are a little bit older, get a damn lock for your door, first yeah. of all. Okay. I'm and- sorry I'm laughing. It's just I keep thinking... What if the kid walks in right as the the male parent is orgasming? Well, then you just like, <laughs> like do you continue? <laughs> like, like it'd be you, so uncomfortable <laughs> to hold it in, even like our. Pretend. Well, you're gonna have to suck it up and hold it in and just mitigate the damage. But you're just gonna have to ask your kid, like, "Hey, can you just hold on, go outside for a second, and uh, we'll be right with you." Kid goes outside. You talk to them about privacy about knocking, things like that. And depending on how old they are, then you can shed more light on maybe why moms and dads might want private time. Uh, One thing is that a lot of parents have said in like interviews I was reading, well, I didn't know what to do and I blanked and I told my kid that we were wrestling. And then it's like, 
Well, then what's going to happen when your kid goes to wrestling class and starts dry humping a punching bag? You can't convolute the situation more. (laughs) You can't convolute the situation. Yeah, basically, you're not going to screw up your kid. So wait, why is the kid dry humping a punching bag when he's wrestling? Because if you tell your kid that you're wrestling when you're actually having sex with your partner and like the kid sees you like humping each other. There's no punching bags in wrestling. Well, I don't know. Something like that, okay? I'm not a wrestling, fighty sports champion. Wouldn't the fear be dry humping the wrestling partner? Sure, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, you're not going to screw up your kids. This is just a great time to have teachable moments about boundaries and privacy. A good reminder for parents to get locks on their doors. And honestly, again, I think from everything that I read, the most resounding point, no matter what researcher or doctor, everybody said, it's only as weird as you make it. Don't make it weird. And just... Have you ever walked into your parents? Oh, tons of times. It has not scarred me for life. And yeah, I think that when it comes down to it, and especially if your kids are a little older, they understand that sex brought them into this world. And then you could use it again as a moment to say, hey, like, you know, maybe as awkward as it is, you should be happy that we have such a loving relationship still and that we show that to each other. And honestly, that is important. And if you want to model healthy relationships and happy relationships for your kids, that is a happy and healthy relationship. So, (laughs) yeah, it's awkward as hell and it's weird, but it's probably going to be a factor in your life. If your kids already haven't walked in on you, I can guarantee maybe they will either walk in, they'll hear something, or they'll just know something's going on down the line. You should be happy. (laughs) All right, next question. Do you get nervous interviewing famous guests? For me, it's I don't care about the level of fame. For me, it's like if I personally look up to them or if... I think they're really cool, then I get a little bit nervous. And they could have like, you know, less followers than I do, but then it's it's just a thing like I have so much inner respect for them or like I want to be like them or something like that and then I just totally get lost in my own yeah, in my own respect for them, I guess. Yeah, I get nervous if the subject is very interesting and I don't feel like I'm nailing it the way I should, especially over Zoom because you get so much less of an opportunity to interject over Zoom. Mm -hmm. It's more like ask a question, they answer it. And some people can just take a question and just talk for five minutes. Some people, you ask them a question, they talk for 30 seconds, then you get to ask another one. But for the people who just go off, each question has to be so perfect or else you may not get what you want. And it's a finite amount of time. So that makes me nervous. Like we were talking recently to Sarah Edmondson and she was in this cult called Nexium, and it's so fascinating her story and I felt like there was I, I missed about 40 questions I wanted to yeah. ask her because she she's very uh, good at answering questions and she knows mm-hmm. where she wants to go and she's done a lot of these interviews so she could kind of take a question where she wanted and we were being interrupted by uh, someone came to her door she had to uh, wish her husband a good luck on an audition. A car went, alarm went off. A car alarm went off near our place. Then the baby. Uh, Lucy and Betty started crying and I had to exit the interview. So it, that makes me nervous mm-hmm. because there is a lot of variables that you can't control when you have two children. Zoom is unpredictable. Yeah. The technical aspect kills me. But 
yeah, I hope that answers the question. No, I think it absolutely does. All right, next question. If you had to give advice to your younger self, what would it be? Oh, I would say be much nicer and less mean-spirited humor. Like when I was growing up, a, a lot of humor I was into was like Howard Stern and, you know, uh, that, that, that type of observational mm-hmm. type of mean-spirited humor, which at the time, I guess because it was kind of shocking or new to me or I was just, I, I really enjoyed Howard Stern so much that I think I, I, I liked everything about him, even though I shouldn't have liked that mean-spirited part. And I took on that type of persona, which really wasn't me because at the core of me, I'm such a shy, mild-mannered person. It really mm-hmm. wasn't me being myself. I think that style comes from being insecure because I was bullied so much that, oh, I'm going to harness this skill in a way. Uh, for me, I think that I would need to tell myself to... When it comes to maybe intellectual projects or creative projects that I'm working on, not to be so nervous and so scared because I think that I held myself back from getting involved in a lot of things that I could have gotten involved with and could have succeeded in because I was just nervous of, you know, sharing my creative ideas or actually taking risks on things. Everything I've done in life has been very risk-free uh including like you know the degree i mean everybody gets a degree in something that you have a proclivity to or something that you're good at it's not true i i think for a lot of people right like why would you get into math if you hate math and suck at math right so i took a lot of people don't get degrees at all oh exactly but i mean like if you're going to university it's something that you're already good at because you have to have the marks and everything to get in but I just feel like everything I've done has been very safe. And then even within that safety, I haven't taken minor risks. And uh, like, I really wish I really wish I did more. And I think that this podcast is the first time that I'm actually taking a risk creatively. And, you know, I have you walking me through it and beside me for the ride. And it's so helpful to me. But this is honestly the first time that I've done something creative, put it out there and said, all right, like, I don't care what's going to happen. We're just going to go for it. And it feels so good. It's so empowering. It's so freeing. And it's so much fun. Like, it's so much fun. And I'm like, what did I miss out on that I could have been doing in my earlier, in my 20s or whatever that I just didn't do because I was nervous about failing. I was nervous about failing. It's like not even necessarily what people would think, but I just didn't want to fail and I didn't want to look like a loser for trying failing. Yeah, but really, how creative is this? We're just two people talking on a microphone. No, but there there is a lot of creativity and there there's a lot of work you have to do because it's not even necessarily creative work, but it was just like anything outside of my you know, my job path. Yeah. I was nervous about doing. Well, I guess I guess the the real challenging part and tough part is putting yourself out there, having these conversations mm-hmm. like you know, I'm I'm embarrassed of a lot of things we're saying on this pod. I'm like, "Oh, what if somebody heard this?" They might think Shane's a loser. (laughs) That's the hard block that I just got over because ultimately no one cares. Everyone just cares about themselves and Mm -hmm. people are just listening to this to pass some time while they're on a washing the dishes or going to sleep (laughs) at night. You know what I mean? (laughs) No, yeah. But honestly, it is so much fun. And I think that I would tell that to our girls too when they got older just to go for things because ultimately you're going to gain some experience from it and it will or should be fun. Right. Yeah. Michael Jordan says, I succeed because I fail. <laughs> Prophetic. 
<laughs> no, but no, it's no, good. No, yeah. he goes, I failed so much in my life, and that's why I succeed. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's who does he also say you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take? No, that Who's could that? be that could be Gretzky. Well, whoever it is, it's a good line. Yeah. All right, next question. What is your proudest parenting moment? I'll start because I have one. So Lucy, a few weeks ago, we had like our only socially distanced hangout with people. And it's only because we hung out with my friend who owns a farm and her kids for the entirety of COVID have not left the farm and neither have they because their whole livelihood is there. And the girls like Lucy and this other girl who's her age, they're kind of playing like a catchy game without getting too close to each other. But then the one girl came up to Lucy with like a branch and it was like poking her with it. And I didn't know how Lucy was going to react because she hasn't seen kids for like almost a year now. Right. And she turned around and went up to the girl and goes, no, 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 no. Don't hit me with the stick. And I looked at her because the other girl was like, she's just better socially than Lucy. And I just couldn't believe that she was standing up for herself so well because I've seen her in the past not stand up for herself and a girl at daycare bit her really bad and like she was kind of skittish for a while. So to see her stand up for herself after not having, you know, social interactions with other kids for so long, I was just so happy that she could do that and she was like not scared of being tough but then also still friendly after that. Like it was a very cool thing to watch. Yeah, I think just in general, Lucy's personality, I'm very proud of it. It's effervescent and fun and comedic. And just her saying daddy is very proud <laughs> moment. Like she says daddy every sentence and mommy too. And it's just surreal to be someone's dad and to hear them say daddy. And it sounds so mm-hmm. simple, but it's, it's nuts. And every time she says it, I'm like, oh, I better be a good dad. I don't feel worthy to be called daddy, <laughs> you know? No, Do you ever feel that way? I... I'm like, I'm a daddy? Like, it, shit, it, it I don't know anything. It always reminds me, yeah, no, every time she calls me mommy or says, mommy, dance with me, mommy, I love you. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, I have this amazing daughter who, yeah, it, I feel privileged. Yeah. I feel so privileged. And I get it when parents, you know, people say, oh, it's a blessing. I mean, we don't call, we don't say things are blessings all the time. But, like, I think it is, in our language, just such a privilege to be their parents and it's it's so much fun it comes with so much crazy stuff and like she loves us what gets me is that like you know they love you more than anything in the world especially at this point you are their entire world you are their friends you are their family you are their safety net you're everything and it's like it's such a huge responsibility but yeah it's, it's overwhelming i wonder like when i was young and i called my dad daddy i felt like he knew everything in the world yeah i wonder yeah. if he was as dumb as i am <laughs> It's weird to think about. So I think about that a lot. I'm like, was my dad just some guy who happened to have a kid? They all are. Or was he this all-knowing person? And I can't separate it because I'm like, my dad knew everything when I was a kid. <laughs> weird. Yeah. yeah. No, and, and Lucy definitely sees us as knowing everything. Like, she's very much in the why phase. Mm-hmm. And we we have answers, even if we don't know, like, for everything. Even if the answer is, oh, I'm not sure. Let's think about it. Okay, our next question are the terrible twos real so shane lucy is what like almost two and a half what do you think terrible twos real or no well it's it's all how you look at it i like to be interactive and i like when someone is really happy and then when they're kind of upset over something it's it's more interesting than when they're just sitting there yeah no okay and so this is perfect and that is a good initial answer because i did 
research this one. Uh, so of course it is normal, right? It's a phase of development that all kids are gonna go through. So around two to three years of age, your kids are going through a ton developmentally. They're rapidly changing their mood and behavior. Like one minute, Lucy is going to be like the happiest, cutest, most affectionate kid. And the next, she is flinging herself on the ground, like banging her head on a wall and just freaking out because like we wouldn't let her eat the cat litter, right? Just, it's crazy. And it's terrible if you perceive it to be that way, which is basically what you said. But this is what all the psychologists and pediatricians that I was researching today, they basically said that it's perception of the parent. But it's normal. They're going through motor changes, intellectual, social, emotional changes, and they understand way more speech than they can express. So then when they have trouble expressing, but like they know what they want to say, but they can't say it, they get so frustrated and then like that results in a tantrum. Like yesterday, Lucy was insanely grumpy and tantrumy when she got up from her nap and I kept asking I was like Lou what's wrong like how can I help you she goes I don't know I'm just sad and it was like breaking my heart and me I don't even know if me asking her what was making her upset was making her more upset but it was it was so hard to watch so they have a really hard time you know explaining why they feel such crazy emotions and they struggle at this point with their reliance on parents and they're like because they totally rely on us for everything but then also they want to be independent at this phase you know Lucy can go up and down the stairs by herself but that doesn't mean she should be because she is still clumsy and can fall and kill herself so it's like they're trying to work out that balance and the fact that there are rules that they have to follow and that's hard for a kid. Right. So we're just answering what's the question? Are the terrible twos real? Oh, um, not for me, no. For you, are they? Well, it's not they're, terrible. They're real, they're real in the sense that there are a lot of tantrums and things because your kid is trying to figure it out. And I did the research because I just wanted to show like that it is normal and they're supposed to be doing that. I think it's the best time. No, it's so much fun. Yeah. It's very funny. Okay, so last question is a funny one, but the asker says, Shane and Alex, you guys have good hair. What products do you use in your hair? I think Shane uses more hair product than me, so I want to ask. I don't use anything. But you use that, that, what is that stuff that you put through? It's like waxy stuff. Not really. I don't really use it. My hair's too long, and I guess a benefit of me, and maybe being a stress-filled person, is... My hair gets really greasy, so when you have a little bit of grease in your hair, it gets kind of shiny and it falls nice. So on days when I'm a little bit stressed, <laughs> my hair can look amazing, <laughs> which gives me confidence, which makes me less stressed. Uh, but yeah, so I just shower once a day. I have to wash my hair every day. If I don't, it's just untenable. Like my, right. my forehead will get so greasy. But once in a blue moon, the wash will make my hair like straw because it won't be a day when my I'm secreting enough oil to mm -hmm. make it look cool. And that's a nightmare for me. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think definitely I, I do not use any product really, yeah, especially you, since quarantine. Well, because you, you used to use a product when your hair was shorter. And I was thinking about it because it smelled so good. Oh, I used like a, I used to use a beach spray. I loved being in California when, like the first time I went there and I went to swim in the ocean and I came out and when my hair dried, it just it was awesome. It had, it was like this sea salt spray. And then there was one by Bumble and it was my go-to spray and it was so amazing. I stopped using it for whatever. I think it was just very expensive and then we're in quarantine. Mm -hmm. But when my hair does get longer, it, 
it falls in a cooler way. No, it definitely looks cool. And then for me, like you wash your hair every day. I wash my hair twice a week most because uh, any more than that and I just dry out my hair too much. But I do use, and again, like I mean, there's it's time because I don't want to damage my hair by always blow drying it and styling it and whatever. So I just find if I wash it twice a week, dry shampoo in between, then it's at its most healthy state. And then I'm only styling it once or twice in the week. But if you tie your hair up, if you have longer hair, but I even did this when my hair was chin length. And every night at bed, I just like tie it up in like a very loose bun at the very top of my head with a like a cloth scrunchie. And I just find when you take it out the next day, it looks good to a degree, even if you didn't do anything to it. Like it always looks kind of good. Yes, I was watching a, a guy and he used to cut my hair. Matthew Stylist is his name. He's on Instagram. He's a very popular hairstylist. But he was saying after a shower, don't touch your hair a lot. I used to like dry my hair with a towel till mm. it was like kind of dry. But he's like, just kind of scrunch it a little bit with your hand and leave it as much as you can. Like pat it dries. You're not just soaking wet. But don't do anything else until it dries. And I found that tip makes it look cooler. There you go. The hair tips from two hairy people. I don't, I don't know how to say that. But the, <laughs> you are such that. a weirdo, Alex. Thank you so much for listening to this, this Family, Family Tree, Tree Podcast. Podcast, episode 58.